conference. Oh, you're at the exchange. Yeah. We'll just get you to slide down a little bit more that closer is. to the mic. Hurt my mic off! So, Mike Ovitz. Can you um, make it a little louder for me sure. in here? All right. Yeah, mine too. My ear. Wait, hold on. This is too far. Yeah, I was about to say, I'm also not getting it. Check one. So the studio, after Scorsese made Goodfellas, they wanted him to make um, uh, Cape Fear. But he's like, I don't do remakes. I was done already. And Who they, said this? Ovitz? No, uh, Scorsese. They wanted him to make, as part of his deal, they wanted him to make Cape, Cape Fear. Fear too? Didn't, ever, didn't he die at the end? But listen to this. So he wanted to do Schindler's List. Yes. He wanted to do, so uh, Martin Scorsese owned the rights to Schindler's List. He wanted to make Schindler's List. Steven Spielberg owned the right to Cape Fear. And Michael Ovitz got them to trade movies. The original Cape Fear. The one in There, in there are in some trades that help both teams. So that was a win-win. Yeah, there's some trades that help both teams. I mean, teams. imagine Scorsese making uh, uh, Schindler's List would be even more depressing Just than it already was. Jewish De Niro. Like, they did Jewish De Niro in Casino. I suppose it worked in that context. <laughs> but De Niro walking around a concentration camp, like, it's, it's anyway, a little much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think the... Yeah. I don't think the audience would have uh, appreciated it. Also, Warner Brothers wanted uh, Tom Cruise and or Eddie Murphy to be in, in Goodfellas. Can you imagine? Tom Cruise and Eddie or Eddie Murphy. What would Eddie Murphy have been? The would Samuel he, he have been a character? Yeah, he could have been a he could have been Pesci's character. There was, no, there was a guy. What who, else could he have been? There was a guy who got shot. That was Samuel L. Jackson. No. Yeah. Oh, that was he, Samuel L. Jackson. He right. stole the truck and fell asleep in it, so they yeah. whacked him. Late for his own funeral. But he had no speaking lines. Right. He had one line. He had one line. Uh, you're really you're you're expert on this topic. I just read the book on the train. I'm going to defer to you. What book, you, what book are you reading? Cinemographic. Michael, uh, the Michael Ovitz book. Details. What's it called? Being Michael Ovitz. <laughs> Good title. <laughs> Good title. Uh, all right, where are we going to close today? Most importantly, um, thirty-two fifty-five. I don't know what index are we talking about. S and P. What do you what do you, what do you got? Forty-six hundred ish. Right. Call the close. I don't know. I didn't look since I got. Left. All right. We got our, our earphones loud enough. Can we fix that? Is yes. it good for you? All right. I, and this better? is not video recorded. Right? Oh, oh, we're on video. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's only three cameras I'm a little sweat. I'm a little yeah. sweaty. No, no, I'm, a little, okay. I'm a little bald. I feel like Jerry Tarkanian. I need a towel to chew on in here. No, you'll be all right. <laughs> you'll be all right. And we got mints if anybody needs. I've been Purelling. I'm very Purell. We got mints. We got champagne. We got... Yeah, we got what uh, is this? Uh, yeah. The, that's the uh, stuff they charge 5x for now that everyone's heard of. Uh, yeah. They took B-minus champagne with an A-plus price. Exactly. <laughs> Are we good to go? I'm good. I'm comfortable. What'd you do all day today? Were you on the phone with before? Um, I, feel like I Matt, can't tell you. I feel like Matt, I feel like Matt was uh, a little upset that you didn't spend any time with him. What do you mean? I was in that meeting, then I was with you guys, and I called and I came you. back. Just telling you. All right, just telling you. He came down from Boston. Oh, let's go. Are these culturally good questions for you to be asking, like every detail? I feel like you're a little micromanaging. Yeah, right. Thank you. Yeah, don't worry about it. I don't know the work the next. Don't worry about it. It feels a little oppressive, almost. Little Foxconn. Welcome to The Compound and Friends. All opinions expressed by me, Michael Batnick and our castmates are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Today's show is sponsored by FTX. FTX was founded in 2019, which is wild. 
can't believe it's only been uh, what what year is it, Duncan? It's twenty. All right, three years about. Sam Bankman Free, the founder, was on the Forbes list of the richest under 30. I don't even think he's 30. Actually, he can't be 30. It's under 30, right? It's under 30. That, well, that wouldn't apply under so. 30 years old. Uh, this year, we spoke today on the show about valuations with private companies uh, getting compressed. Not FTX. FTX US raised $400 million at an $8 billion valuation. That's only the US subsidiary. FTX International was at a $32 billion valuation. So they are, needless to say, they're doing well. If you are looking to get access to crypto, NFTs, download the FTX US app, enter the promo code COMPOUND to get free crypto on every trade over $10. Look at this guy. All right. All right. Big John, thank you for that. Oh, he's back. John, good to have you. Last week we struggled. John, last week was... Last week was like um, when they used to perform Macbeth and the lighting would fall and kill one of the actors. And that's why they call hey it the now. Scottish play. Hey All kinds of shit went wrong. Oh Nicole did your job pretty well, though. I got to be honest with you. Shout out to Nicole. How are you today? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing great. Duncan, how are you? How's life? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I'm offended now. But I'm Don't good. be offended. <laughs> hey, I watched, um, I watched like 15 minutes of the Formula One thing on Netflix. Episode one, season one. I'm into it. Yeah. Cool. It didn't hold my attention to watch the whole 45 minutes, though. Okay, well, you got to go back. I know, yeah. but it's it's not bad. I see the appeal. I see the appeal of it. John, where did you go? Chicago. Oh yeah, I knew that. How was it? Great. Yeah. Some of the team. Good food. You went to dinner with Jonathan. Yep, Where'd you John go? And Anna. He's a foodie. Where did he take you? It's uh, I forget the name of it, but it was pub food uh, Indian food combo. Pub food Indian. F- yeah. Okay. You don't know what it's called? Royal something. Pub Royal. Pub Royal. The That's what it was. Last time I went to dinner with him in Chicago, he made us eat a bowl of duck hearts. Am I, I'm not making that up, right? You were there? Oh my God. That was awful. Awful. Where were we? Chicago. Yeah. Jonathan, gross. Jonathan's a foodie, but that, that was a little too far from me. All right. Adam Parker's here, guys. And I've been looking for the, forward to the show since we, when did I ask you to come on? Like a month ago? Two months ago? Yeah. A couple months right. ago. I've been fired up for this. So I wrote this, we wrote this really big intro for you. So you're just going to have to bear with us. Um, I want to make sure the audience is aware of your whole oeuvre. Adam is the CEO and founder of Trivariate Research. And you guys are equity research, risk management, macro. Are you doing economics as much or only as it pertains to investing, right? Yeah, only stock related. Okay. But your lane is pretty, your lane is pretty wide though. Yeah. I see, like I see all the stuff that you're covering. There's a lot there. Um, Prior to this, let's give people a little bit of a sense of what you were doing prior to Trivariate. You were number one ranked institutional investor. How many times? Uh, several. So, okay. Semiconductor analyst yeah. from 04 to 06. Yeah. Uh, number one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, global director of research, U.S. equity strategist at Sanford C. Bernstein. Right. And at Morgan Stanley, you were chief U.S. equity strategist. Right. So that's when I first became aware of you. Yeah. And I've been on TV with started you Started doing a lot of TV. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what was that like? That's a pretty big job. I traveled uh, 30 weeks a year. Um, That's it? I spoke at 44 conferences around the world. I had about nine bosses. I did a lot of um, uh, diversity and inclusion training, money laundering videos, ESG training, 360 feedback, MD and ED promotion. And then once in a while, I looked at the stock market. I was going to say things that things that are more like administrative and have nothing to do Listen, with all, markets. Listen, all big firms have 
positives and negatives. Like they have bigness disease that I just described, and they have like resources that are incredible. So hey, Adam, I, I saw the world. It was, my, you know, yeah. my first job on Wall Street, yeah. I worked for City as an intern, like checking those videos that you had to watch, the click, click, click. I had to audit them to make sure that they were, yeah, so yeah. that was fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had um, a lot of, I, I'm making these numbers up, but I think there was like 55,000 employees at the time, and there were like 10,000 in legal and compliance and 10,000 in IT. So I felt, you know, 40% of my time was allocated to those you know, good use buckets. Your, good use yeah. of your skills. Okay. And you were part of the investment committee uh, at Morgan Stanley. How many people are – so that's like $2 trillion bucks At the time, yeah. In assets. That's, that's, that's was, a big It might be more now with the E-Trade thing and stuff. But at the time, it was 17,000 advisors. So how many trillion, people were on the committee? Seven. And I was kind of the equity U.S. equity-focused guy. And fortunately, during the time I was there, I just kept saying I like U.S. equities the most, which more or less <laughs> was all you need to say because you'd always get these bond guys who think they're smarter telling you that that's better. And I would just be like, no. What? Yeah, bonds are really hard. Yeah. What's the starting yield? What's the what's the period of time? Duration. Okay, thanks. <laughs> is it going bankrupt? No. Okay, I think I know what the I think I know what the return is. Um, you have a PhD in statistics from BU, so do I, <laughs> and an MS in biostatistics from UNC Chapel you Hill. You went to Shake Shack and yeah, a BS University. in statistics from University of Michigan. That's true. You have you, a UNC type uh, sweatshirt on. Is that for the Final Four? Or? Definitely didn't go to UNC. Okay. Yeah, no. They wanted me for, for basketball, but um, <laughs> right. But I, I wanted to pursue the statistics thing like you did. <laughs> uh, so so when you're on that investment committee and you're the equity guy, yeah. it's obvious you're the star of the show. Because what are the because what are the what do the clients really care most about? Does it matter what GDP is in Q3? Listen, I mistrust I mistrust economics, uh, meaning. You know, and people used to think I was joking when I when I'd say this, Josh. But I think you know it's real. Which is, I I think what I'm really good at is knowing what already happened, and I don't even think economists know what already happened. Right. So they'll tell me next year's, you know, last year's GDP, next May or June, and like I I just I don't generally think these frameworks help me invest. I I think. So I, I kind of, you know, my view, yeah, was U.S. equities are the biggest asset class in my view matters, and I, I guess I flaunted that. But really, the truth is, the advisors, they don't really. Okay, imagine you go and you talk to the top fifty advisors in every city in the country, which I would do. If if you decide and recommend, oh, we like emerging market equities over U.S., you're asking a guy to to say, okay, so you want me to to sell my Costco and my Apple and my Google and my and buy a and JP Morgan and you want me to buy China. India Telecom? Yeah. I, like I don't even think in practice they can do that until EM beats US by eighty percent a year for three years and then and then right. you know so it's 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 like the implementability of some of the non US equity strategies aren't that practical or feasible. You know how hard it is for a US based wealth manager sitting at Morgan Stanley to call their clients and say. Yeah. We're going to be 30% U.S., 20% EM because of the CAPE ratio. Yeah. How hard it or is the to like – Or the Phillips curve is telling – I mean I, I just yeah, – yeah. yeah, I don't – you know, Schiller PE looks high. I just – that that doesn't work. You know, I think what works um, has got to be um, – and I think what, what you get better at over time you're, – you're really good at this – is taking something that isn't that complicated but you – know, that is kind of complicated and making it seem like it's not. I mean you, you – I know that's your – your your jam and you're good at it on TV, but I'd say like, look, you have to you have to boil it down. I always think of that Mark Twain of like, I didn't have time to write a short letter, so I wrote you a long one. You, you have to write the short letter, or no, it's not gonna resonate. Yeah. So I think that's what you learn when you're talking. And and I'm not I don't I don't mean to be disrespectful because if there's seventeen thousand advisors, like the top few thousand are, are pretty awesome. 
I mean, you guys know it's not that easy. You want you want to know how much money I make and all the money I have and then all the money I spend my expenses. Then after that, you want me to give you all all my money? I mean, like that's that's a hard sale. So some of these guys are awesome at it, but the bottom yeah, you and I fifty percent are, are not brain surgeons. So you, you gotta have a keep if, it simple. If you have a firm, it doesn't have to be Morgan Stanley, <laughs> right? Bank Any. of America, UBS, Any. whatever. Yeah, if you have a firm, and there's fifteen thousand people doing wealth management. It's likely that the top thousand are amazing, yes. like amazing people. I agree. Because how do you get there if it's not longevity? If you're not f- 70 years old, if you're in your 30s or 40s and you're operating at that level, you're really, really good. But then the bottom 14,000, it's like it's they're interchangeable <laughs> with any other firm. I, I think that's right. I, I, I think that, um, as you know, there's so many skills that are required to be great at it, right? Because you got to be a good asset gatherer to, to be relevant, but you've got to be a pretty good investor and you've also got to be right. trustworthy and a good person. Tax, it is a lot of things you need to be good at, taxes, charity. So I think the top, you know, a thousand out of those seven, top 5% are, are, are really outstanding. The way it was explained to me is like the ideal producer, quote, producer, like wirehouse advisor at the top of the pyramid. It's a fraternity president. Like everybody likes the person. They can party. They can be serious. They can be yeah. responsible. Yeah. EQ, like IQ, the whole thing. Yeah. All, like that's all right. of that. I think it's, I and think that's, that's a right. rare individual. Yeah. I think it's a rare individual. And and I think that, that the key is that you've got to resonate with the – got to teach to all students, right? Yes. You, got, you can't just teach to the best ones in the class. And so – and there's some some you know responsibility and laws and other stuff going around it. I I, I honestly enjoyed it because usually what I would do is travel, hit five or six institutional investors in a city, and then hit the top fifty advisors in a room in every city. So you got you got to know some of them, and you would appreciate the challenges that they're going through. But you know, as you guys know, like they really want to talk about individual stocks and what names to put in the portfolio, and like telling them you're bullish on U.S. equities. Right, let me stop you. Yeah, yeah. You know what they really want to do, and this might this yeah. is like maybe the most hard hitting question I'm going to ask. How do you not gain 500 pounds? Because you're at steakhouses in every city. <laughs> of the. I would be the fattest slob. I, I mean, I, I would be – because yeah. every night is a steakhouse or or high-end yeah. sushi. Or, yeah. So what did you do like to do that much travel and not look like you I, eat for a living? I mean, it is it is hard. That's uh, I'm complimenting I, you, I'm, you by Thank the way. you. I'm a little bit – I'm sweating, so I feel like I'm the fat guy <laughs> sweating. But I'm genetically engineered to eat. But uh, I, I, you know, to me, I, I guess – um, I've always gotten in really early. So, you know, back oh, to the restaurants, to, to yeah, the yeah, office. He gets into the restaurant early. <laughs> no, he no, orders the a salad before the they blue, come. The blue hair people <laughs> and I. No, I, I just, I've been like a 5, 5.50 a.m. in the office guy and a lot of coffee and keep the metabolism cranking. And I try to work out every day, you know. So the, the tr- challenge is really those days you're traveling and you're, you know, you're, you know, Beijing on Monday and you're Miami on Wednesday and then you're, you know. That's the, those are the tough days because you don't know when to work out. You can't and cook anything for yourself. You're a mess, and and so I try. I tried. To, I tried to um, keep it under control. But look, the truth is, when I left Morgan Stanley, I was you know like the fattest I, I, I ever was, yeah. and then I got in shape when I got to the buy side. So you know, um, well, you just you know you can. I probably the thing I need to get better at is sleeping more. Yeah, know? good luck with that. Yeah, I hear that doesn't get easier no. as you get older. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, I wouldn't worry too much about yeah. that. So, who, who are your clients now? So we we write research, sell data, sell baskets. Our primary clients are bottom-up stock pickers, hedge funds, big long onlys, cross-asset. But we also have some clients who are, are, are RIAs. We have some that are uh, private equity. We have some corporates themselves. So, you know, companies, treasury, CFO, IR, you know, the investor relations that want, you know, our, our kind of bespoke work on their stock. And so it's, it's a broad distribution, but I'd say the bulk of it is bottom-up stock picking. 
hedge fund managers or you know what's trivariate what is the so the so the firm is called trivariate research what does that word mean the idea was three variables right quant fundamental and macro so applied applied to equities it's a little bit of a why not adam parker research like all kidding aside because you spent how long were you the how long were you the chief strategist equity strategist at morgan uh seven years but i don't know i I guess i was kind of weird uh, yeah i i kind of you know it's maybe uh you know um Making a mistake, maybe, Josh? I mean, it could be, but I, I think it was just, I didn't like the eponymous thing. I kind of thought, you know, it seems a little, I mistrust people when you get their business card and they have like three or more titles. Yeah. And so I just didn't want to be like, oh, founder, CEO, and CIO. Like, well, just, I've seen so it done. I, I didn't want to do, you know, I don't know. It just seemed. I've seen it done multiple ways. Yeah. It's, so it's not one way is better than the other. Yeah. I was just curious. I don't think it's my speed to be too, um, you know, have my name and initials all over the place. I, I don't know. Yeah, Ned Davis is kind of a prick like that. I'm with you. I'm I don't know you. him. I don't know him, actually. No, I'm just kidding. I don't I, know him. Either. I don't either. Oh. No, uh, Tom Lee is fun strat. Like, right. most people, I think, don't use their name. But some people, I feel like, would be better off if they did. Yeah, I don't know. I feel you like know, you have a really good rap. All right, Thanks. so yeah, let, let's, get, let's get into it. it. So okay. we're going to start the show today the same way actually we started last Michael week. Michael doesn't do small talk. No, it's, not, no, it's enough. It's enough. Okay. Uh, so last week we started the show talking about <laughs> the difference between smart money and uh, – or smart money between like big money and retail money and, and retail getting bearish. Be, and what's so funny? I was just thinking I remember <laughs> one, of, one of my bad moments at Morgan Stanley. You made me smile. This is small talk, but uh, – Somebody in the crowd raised their hand and said, what is the smart money doing? And I guess it was in a bad mood or I thought I was being funny. And I just looked at them and I said, not what you're doing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I went to the principal's office. So but <laughs> I said smart money because – so we're going to start with Sentiment Trader. His name is Jason Gepford. So he tweeted – John, let's this chart up. He tweeted, smart money has been buying the dip. In January, commercial hedgers held more than $125 billion of S&P 500 futures net short. Over the past week, and I think this data is about a week old, over the past week, they flipped that to a $25 billion net long position. That's quite an about face. Hold on. Say it a little bit slower for me. It was $125 billion. Net Adam, sh- let me ask you. Net short? Who, who, are, who are the commercial hedgers? Of stocks? Yeah. So these are not, they're, they're not doing this in the options market. It's only, you know, kind of in futures, it looks like. Okay. So I don't know what commercial hedgers means, but whatever. Needless to say, it's not people that are trading odd lots. Let's put it that way. Yeah, CFTC data. I like to look at the source there. I'm not 100% sure what I'm looking at here. Um, So I, you know, um, but, you know, it looks like one line goes up a lot and one goes down a lot. But how do so how, right, I guess the question is how do you flip from from 125 billion net short S&P futures to 25 net long I, I in one week and not have the kind of rally that we just yeah, had. I, I think, look, the flows matter for sure. But yeah. I, don't, I don't think I talk to that many direct people who trade the futures massively. I think, you know, so I don't have a good feel. Is that concentrated in just a half a dozen firms? That's that like prop s- firms in Chicago. Yeah, swinging around big, that. you know. Yeah. Most of the people I talk to are, you know, the pot. The, the, the pot shops can move around a lot because they, what, what happens is they're, they're tasking their PMs or analysts with – you know, one alpha dial a quarter, maybe four or five percent a year, and they're going to run a thousand gross in the back room, and they can make big returns. So they, can, you can see those degrossing. And you talk about it on the air, like you just get these big moves that have nothing to do with fundamentals or anything, because one of these big pods is moving up or down. You know, they're running, you know, um, you know, thirty or forty billion. That's four hundred billion in the balance in the balance sheet. So yeah. you can see some of that, but I don't know a lot of guys. You know, I, I don't know if it's like Bridgewater. You know, some of these guys. Some right, these forget the yeah. chart. So the, this but, is outside but, of my my core. But, competency. But the point is, this is a ten day rolling return chart for the S and P five hundred. And the only time we had a better 10-day run than the one that we just had was the corona bounce. Right. But basically, 10% in 10 days, I made this chart on Tuesday. It's about a stronger 10-day bounce yeah. that we've had. And 
why I'm struggling with this balance. What, tell me what's going on. I mean, so I think explaining it after the fact, I, I always, and it's probably a mistake I make, but I always try to go to what is like the high level story. Um, and I, I mean, think- Is the story good? It's not good. Well, all right, I'll, I'll make it good. I'll, I mean, look, I'm gonna tell you what I believe and then you can you can insult it. But I actually think corporate earnings are growing this year. I think the S&P 500 earnings will be higher in 22 than 21. Um, I think we had a very, very big uh, change to the perception about interest rates starting late last fall. So I start looking at the Fed fund futures when I want, you know, come in every day. I used to type, you know, WIF and <laughs> futures and WP, bonds, see what's going on. I always look at FF6, FF12, you know, commodity, you know, like the, the, the perception of rates, right? And that got – we went from like no to seven hikes from last – Yeah, so I, I think we've gotten way too – kind of hawkish personally. And I think the Fed's not going to be able to execute, you know, what the consensus is without... They can't do seven hikes it, without blowing yeah. up, without blowing and, up uh And I think importantly, I think it's an important point. I mean, I'm glad, I mean, we're off your exact question. I'll get back to it. But I, I don't think that the hikes change anything that's causing inflation. Like U.S. companies, if you're a CEO of a big company, you're having trouble like hiring U.S. people and with wages. Um, is it going to solve the shortage of wheat? Is it going to solve the shortage of oil? I know. So none of the things that you're trying to control, which is the Fed's part of the mandate is inflation. The other is, is more important. Like raising rates isn't going to change anything. That, like it's not going to suddenly- Supply match. chain. No. <laughs> so like it's, it's sort of a weird solution to the problem. Knock but down, they have to. Couldn't it knock down the housing market and lessen the demand for materials? It could. It could a little bit. It's part of it. could. But, it, but it's to not, your point, it's a supply-driven yeah, like, inflation. What does the Fed have to do with that? I don't think that the seven hikes is going gonna, is gonna to happen. And so I guess my point is part of it could be, you've seen like the- the, the three-year Fed Fund Futures 36 month has come down about 50 bips, a little bit. So maybe people are realizing, all right, it's really going to be hard to get the 10-year at 4% this cycle or 5%. Like that's that's going to be Michael rough. and I don't believe it's possible to get above 3% given how much money there is just waiting yeah. to all buy right. it So we, we agree. We agree. Yeah. So so I, I think the answer to your question is, look, if I have earnings that are up this year from last year, and I think likely your base case is still they're higher in 23 than 22. I think the if I'm really being intellectually honest and you say, all right, Perception of, of rates change, growth scare, war. The probability 23 earnings are above 22 is probably lower than it was three months ago. I think that's fair. And the way I think about that is the multiple it should be lower because there's a distribution of outcomes and willing to pay a certain price for each, you know, probabilistically. And that's what the market should be. So, yeah, the market should be down from the highs because the, the risk to earnings is a little higher than it was. But I still think the base case is higher. And Can we go back to 20, yeah, 20, yeah. full year 22 earnings? Yeah. So I think estimates now eight percent for full year are eight trending downward, and we're above ten percent as recently as January. Yeah, I think the long term average is the out year estimates are fourteen percent, the actual six and a half. So the street, the, the market knows numbers are come down. Okay. I don't think it matters that they're coming down. I think what matters is they're going to grow year over year. But I guess given that we had like twenty nine, seventeen, and twenty eight for the S and P five hundred returns for the last three years. You would think that maybe we could take a pause. It just seems the, the rally was so furious. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't disagree with that. But I mean, but again, like if you're rooting your if you're rooting your comment at something empirical, like this trailing three-year return, a statistically significant predictor of subsequent one-year return. Well, earnings, no, I might know a thousand years from now. But no. I have like earnings a, I have a, growth doesn't li- linearly uh, help you at all with calendar year returns either. It because do, it think about 18. Doesn't. We did 20% earnings growth mostly because of the tax cut. Right. Right? Uh, stock returns zero. 
Look at you're like no, 2012. No, I, we did 20% I, 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 and, I and negative earnings. I agree. So I agree. I, I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm just saying if people have confidence earnings are higher and there was a growth scare that abated a little, that's a intellectual ex post answer to your question. I, you know, the, the short term answer is probably more where you started, which is some flows and positioning, positioning right? Yeah. And and kind of a little oversold. And I think there are some businesses now. Like I think if you look at the small cap universe, something like half the stocks trade below 15 times earnings, or you know. So it's there's some. I know when I look at it, like I feel like pretty excited about buying a bunch of things in the market. Like I'm very bullish on energy. I'm buying every dip uh, for the next two or three years. I'm bullish on metals. I I think um, at these prices, like if you have any horizon, you can buy like mid mid cap biotech and wait two years because like the the pipeline is the same as it was, and the price of sales is a ten year low, and the stocks are down seventy percent. Stocks like, have been like right, yeah, stocks massacre. have been more than cut in half, but right. they're still developing the same. Yeah, drugs. the innovation that your gamble on innovation is the same. So if you buy a basket of twenty of them, you're going to have the same kind of probability of something safe and effective as you did, and you're at an all time. So we we, yeah. we were joking around that like what. Wait, why are stocks rallying? And I was like, oh, it's money coming out of the bond market because it has to go to one of two places, right? Yeah, if, it's, if it's not leaving and going to real estate. I bought the two-year in my PA. Like that's the first time I've done that in forever because I'm like- 2.4%? Yeah, 2%. I bought the shit out of that. Yeah, I'm like, all right, you know, I, you know, if you have money lying around doing nothing, you don't need for two years. The worst thing is you take the risk. I just and, literally, and then, I have a real estate thing coming up where I need cash in about 18 months. Yeah. I bought the SHY yielding 2.38%. Yeah. The biggest. I don't care what inflation is yeah. two years yeah, from right. now. I don't care. This, right. so I need this the money. Is, this is more economic than. So this does not explain the short term stock market. But I, I, thought, I think it's flows is the short term yeah, answer. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the intellectual reason ex post, yeah. I'm always going to try mean, to go back at, to some earnings. Look outlook. at this chart of Apple. I mean, what in the world? Like that balance is insanity. It's mechanical. It's insane. So anyway, so Carl Quintanilla tweeted this morning from J P Morgan. This is interesting. The U.S. will not hit a recession in 2022. The $6 trillion in stimulus under Trump and Biden, and more than half of that money is yet to be spent. Instead, it sits in households and government balance sheets. The U.S. is uniquely positioned to weather the inflation storm. So we spoke about that yesterday, that the consumer and the corporations maybe have never been better prepared for a potential downturn. So um, on the U.S. consumer front, I actually wrote about this this week. Um, You know, I think the consumer is in good shape. Right. You know, the things that I would look for would be any signs of 90 day credit card delinquencies rising. They're at all time lows. Um, retail sales and confidence still look pretty good. Obviously, the jobs and wages look good. So when you when you put the cocktail together, it's hard to get a big recession with the consumer in, 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 in this good of shape. So I think that point I agree with. And then in terms of the, the, the corporates, I've always thought what causes me what would cause me to get more negative on the stock market like would be. I, I call it hubris and debt, right? Like management arrogance gone awry, too much capital spending. John Chambers, 2007, Cisco CEO, I will build in advance of recovery, right? And then, you know, crushed, right? Inventory. Well, we have the opposite problem. We don't, we, we don't have enough chips. The backlogs are there. Right. And you can't get a washing machine for your house for a year. Like, so I don't see inventory. Capital spending it, looks responsible in responsible light of how short light, we are of everything. But what, right. about, but what about inflation hitting consumers and then hitting earnings? Right, okay. So 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 I think the issue, so the issue from the, from the hubris side, you know, Hiring isn't doesn't you know it used to be you hire all the Harvard MBAs at the top of the cycle like Goldman banking and then they're like we're not seeing that kind of hubristic behavior and we don't have debt meaning like debt that's going to be due at higher rates that's going to impede the you know interest income interest expense you know part of the 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 P and L so the, the the things that the companies can control I think are in pretty good shape so it all comes down to wages logistics um, and um, you know, input costs, like you're mentioning. And and I, th- I think there's a couple of point, point, points here. Um, do, do, are we going to ask me something? No, all right. 
I wasn't sure if I was too lathered up, and then you no, really we want down. we want more, uh, we which, want more which, of you, what, less of us. What, what, what I was going to say is like I was with the, I was with the CEO of um, a pretty big public industrial company um, last Friday, and he, he was making a really good point. Like he said, I have no wage pressure outside the U.S. So all my wage price, 75% of my employees are outside the U.S., 25% are in, all the wage pressures in really? the U.S. Yeah, and I thought it was pretty interesting because, you know, these companies are moving guys to Mexico subtly, like they're, he's like, there's no COVID, everyone shows up to work, and, you know, there's no wage pressure. And, like, in Tennessee or wherever, it's like I can't get guys to work, right? So I think, you know, looking at the wage pressure from the U.S., non-U.S. thing is something I'm focused on because I think the main thing for investing, like, you, you want to pick stocks right now, which companies can beat gross margins six months from now and which can't? The ones that can't, it's your issue. Issue. The rising input costs they can't pass on to the customers. They run out of the ability um, to absorb. You know, there's a demand a demand problem. So let me jump in real quick. Right. So two points on uh, to dovetail what you're talking about. Yeah. So passing on costs. Look at Costco. Yeah. No problem. Holy shit. Right. All, all time high. On the other end of the spectrum, and they have a slightly higher end consumer than some of the other companies. So that, you know, the companies they yeah. also have a locked in consumer that's already paying them a membership. Right. And so pay whatever slightly price. wealthier average. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. What do we What do we make of this? Home builders crushed down 27% yeah. from the highs. Yeah, I think you look at, yeah, I, I think that's because they act bad when rates rise, when the perception of rates rise. Um, I mean, that's, that's ugly. Yeah, but they totally. also can't even The 30 build. years up 2% in but the last, and, and then they have an like, inventory and supply kind of like. It's like the greatest moment ever to deliver new homes for all the demands. They can't. And they can't afford to. Right. It, 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 it's it, like almost a Greek tragedy. Lowe's looks like shit. I don't think you want to buy those stocks, um, but I don't think they're the economic barometer that some people are trying to, you know, attach to a negative economic story. The reason they're there is because the 30 years gone up 2% and people know that that's going to eventually hurt um, affordability. On the flip side, what are we, five and a half, six million structures short? There's still, you know, um, north to south. We were talking about, you know, Florida, you know, being uh, popular, Texas for Californians. And you have still an, an, ur an urban to suburban things. So like the houses aren't in the right place. They're going to be demand for a while and they can't get the product to build them all. So, and they're being more responsible in some way by not taking a backlog. They know they can't fill. You heard that from Lennar last year. You've heard that from the big company. So right. I, I don't, I, I, I'm not saying I'd buy the stocks now in a three, six month horizon, but I don't think it means like the world's falling because the stock. Could it mean bad. though, Adam, that there's going to be this shift? Leave that, leave that where it is. Put a yeah. BBY. Right. Could Best it mean buy? though, this looks like the housing stocks. This is – they're not trying to build homes. They're just trying to sell TVs to people who just bought a home. Yeah. Could it mean that we're about to have this huge shift from dishwashers and flat screens to services spending and services spending not being as meaningful to the S&P's earnings? Because that's a really it, big story it, it, that it, people I'd say, are starting to tell I'd say that's definitely now. possible. I mean, Best Buy is one I used to know very well and I'm not as close to it. But at a time, I, I, I was short that thing a few years ago and the thesis I thought was very interesting was – Something like a third of their EBITDA was from trying to sell warranties on TVs. Yeah, uh, where well, you know, Amazon had a lower price, and by the way, you don't need to warranty your TV. Never. Okay, and then uh, eight percent of their EBITDA was from uh, you know the cards you buy as gifts for people that people never used. Yeah. That's a pretty Dude, good business. I, go to, I sell you a card that you never use, and that's eight percent. So it, it kind of feels a little like House of Cardsy. <laughs> I go to PC Richards. It's just like name name your price. Like you point <laughs> yeah. to something and be like, "I'll give you three hundred dollars for that." So the, ser it. the services thing is interesting, though, and, and I, th I get well, look at look at like Royal Caribbean is looking is looking a little better. The, right, the, the airlines the looking problem, a little bit better. But the problem is services related businesses punch way below their weight in yeah. S and P earnings. Mm -hmm. 
Whereas selling cars and and ovens and houses, probably, is yeah, much probably the most absurd part of this like thing, or one of the most absurd parts, was used cars. Like we all have a story of like my buddy who bought yeah, it for yeah. thirty grand, used yeah. it for four years, and sold it for thirty seven. Like we know that's gonna you know unwind. It started to, and you started seeing pressure on the last CPI on it. That seems like a certainty. Um, so th- those are the big dollar big dollar things. You know, I think in the industrial sector, like the the, the gigs industrial sector. Forty percent of the inventory dollars were the Boeing seven eight seven program at one at one point. So like you can't the dollars of those kind of big industrial right. things. Hey, really Caterpillar is looking pretty looking a lot better. Yeah, I mean they're oil and gas and and aero are like yeah, two thirds of their bid. So it, it's you know I, I think the tenor of your question though. Let, let's go back to like your question on inflation and input costs and like can the companies absorb it? You know I I feel like there are a bunch of businesses that have pricing power, and so the way that their earnings will collapse will only be if small and medium businesses go out of business. And, and like a true recession, right? And I'm just a tiny business, whatever, but like everybody has pricing power over me, right? United Health, we were talking about this when I walked in, United Health with, with healthcare, they raise it. I use ADP for payroll. I use S&PG. Verizon SPGI. could probably ask you for five extra yeah, dollars. SPGI for data. No problem. Uh, yeah. I use salesforce.com to communicate with my customers. I, I mean, everybody's raising pricing on me and unless I go out of business, I'm going to keep paying I, it. I think Starbucks has raised their, co- their coffee prices five times in the last week. Yeah, it's like 17 cents every time. I don't. I, I think their coffee Chipotle is horrible. Chipotle did two price increases this year so far. I think it's funny. A guy, the a, a, a homeless guy from Chipotle today asked me for some food, and I went in there with a 20, and then I actually had the thought of like, is that enough? Is 20. <laughs> I gave him a 20, and I walked out. And I'm like, if you, I've is, been saying 15 is my line in the sand for Chipotle. <laughs> I won't go above. I don't uh, care. Can you put this chart up, John? Uh, Gallup poll inflation. I thought this was interesting. This is like societal. This is so much bigger than. Like a, oh, yeah, a, yeah. a like a financial markets discussion, right? This is a mindset shift that does not just go back to how it was right. overnight. You could fix a supply chain tomorrow. It's going to take a while. This yeah. is a new regime. So, so and you, what are the implications? So, oh, let me tell the people yeah, that yeah. aren't seeing this: inflation as the most important problem facing the U.S. This is a Gallup poll that goes from October eighty-one till March, and the percentage of people mentioning inflation and/or cost of living is 17%. It has spent almost the entirety of this 40-year period being below my whole life. 5%. No, nobody yeah. gave a shit until yeah. now. So this is a very, very big spike. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, is that, what does that look like in June? I think we're going 17 higher. Is gotta, it's gotta, oh, that's going high. Adam, I guess the question is like, when does inflation change people's spending habits? When do we see that? Now. I think we're starting to see it a little bit. I, You know, every Wednesday... You can go to government website and look for demand destruction in oil. We really haven't seen gas, you know, miles-driven destruction yet. I would have thought with six bucks in LA or you know whatever that you start, but you haven't seen that yet. Now seasonally, people start driving more when it gets warmer out, but even seasonally adjusted. So I, I think you're going to see some demand destruction on that, and maybe that's you know the the bear case for my my bullish energy call. But I think on on hotels um, and airlines, packed. I mean, I, I've been flying every week. The yeah. last three and, and airports are, I've never I've never seen more crowd. The hotel yep. prices are, I don't want to exaggerate. I'll just tell you like factually, hundred and fifty percent higher than 2019, 20, You know, kind of pro, apple to apple three years later. Like the, yeah. the three. Like I'd say if you were paying X a room, then you're you know sort because of because they point, have to yeah. pay more to get people to clean it. They can't get people to clean the rooms. Yeah, they have to pay more for now. You basically utilities like they have to. Yeah. So they so have to charge more. I, I think the question is the U.S. consumer is the is that's where we started there. Like that's the key. If you started seeing cracks in that, I think you got to lower your expectations for the economy and earnings. 
I also could say you could have like an economic recession without the S&P 500 earnings going down. I mean, we didn't quite touch on that, but these companies are better than the economy. They do have pricing power. It's not like the S&P is really emblematic of your guy worried about inflation, right? But don't like, people yeah. overreact? Like, can the market outperform the economy in a recession? I don't yeah. think so. You think so? Yeah, it could. Sure. Oh, but we've only ever seen it overshoot. Yeah, it, it could. I'm not saying that's the base case. Yeah, but no, it, it could. could. It yeah. could, but people overreact. Yeah, but you, you know, I, I guess the pushback to that, I agree. But the pushback to that would, and, and analysts actually confuse structural with cyclical at the wrong time, and their estimates could be too high. So that's why I think all the most of the, what I spend my work on is like which businesses have achievable estimates six months from now, and which don't. And so we do a bunch of you know nerdy stuff like regressions between change in sales and change in income, and the slope of that line, you know, the margin, was, where the estimates above or below, and like do they have you know like pricing power or not, and what are the like you know. So we try to get at that. Yeah. I think we're gonna have new recession signals that we start following in the future based on whatever. If we, Let's say we have a recession in 23, 24, whatever. I right. don't know. I think the thing that tells us definitively we're in a recession- Netflix subs. Yeah. I think streaming <laughs> to people. So <laughs> like if a household has HBO, Netflix, uh, Disney Plus- The average household has five subs. If all of a sudden like uh, Netflix or Disney shocks us and they go into negative growth one quarter- right. The oh, only peacock. way peacock that would tell. happen is a, is a recession. Nobody buy it. Peacock, peacock is the first thing to know, go. They, they can pay. Peacock. They can pay. Exactly. They have to pay me to pay to watch the Olympics. Um, what what about? Um, That's like a non traditional thing. That or cloud here, computing. So I got could, could have a negative I got a growth. Couple, I got a couple things I'm focused on that are like kind of new this cycle. I'd say backlog and book to bill for industrials and semis. So say we, more. So, all right, if you're a semiconductor company, we, we, it, every company can't get chips, right? They can't- Tell the audience what book-to-bill is, yeah, by the sure. way. So book-to-bill is the orders that I have versus what I just shipped out, right? So if I have, you know, a billion dollars that I just sold, but I've got 1.1 billion in demand, I get a 1.1 book-to-bill. Book like people want more than I just shipped, right? Okay. And I would say, and then the backlog is, all right, I can't get my product. Um, um, I need chips to make my car. So, hey- um, Texas Instruments, I want, you know, 100 million 12 months from now, I want 100 million 18 months from now. And I put yeah. it on your backlog to make sure, hey, you know, I want that. I'm going to keep wanting it. It's on your backlog, right? So these companies, some of them report their backlog, 3 billion backlog at, 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 three, at three years, at two billion. And so once you get any whiff that that backlog, backlog is airing it, I think that's a sell signal for the whole I just economy. saw this guy. All right. So I just saw this guy at Barclays today, downgrade AMD. And his downgrade was- we're worried about these three major end markets, whatever, the PC, gaming. Yeah. And he goes, there's absolutely no indication that there's anything other than like all systems go <laughs> in these in these markets. We're just thinking about what happens if like <laughs> Intel gets more aggressive. or yeah. So like the analyst is almost downgrading it in advance of any of that whiff that you're talking yeah. about being existence. I think, I think it's hard to get – the companies don't give you a real number. AMD obviously is a bit of a – you know, kind of a duopoly, you know, yeah, yeah. NVIDIA one half and Intel on the other. But I, I think generally if you talk about like TI or ADI or the you know, broader companies, you know, if I look at aggregate, my guess is there are 1.15 book to bill, then 108, then 106 the last three quarters. We're trending toward production equaling consumption. We're not there yet. I think if you start feeling like I'm getting close and the back – one of the weird things about semis is like <laughs> – 
I'm not. I, I booked a fancy Japanese restaurant. They took my credit card and they basically said you have a $25 per person cancellation fee. But I can order $200 million worth of chips from ADI, call them to and to cancel e- it, and cancel with no fee. Yeah, like I, it's, it's insane. It's an absurd business. So, you know, to me, if you get any whiff of cancellation, you're worried. And I'd say in the industrial side, it, it's 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 probably the same thing where. Wait, so who do you watch for that? Like Taiwan Semi? Like who's the end of the line? ADI, TI, um, okay. you know, uh, a TXN, I guess I should use the tickers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Texas Instruments, Analog Devices, which bought Linear and Maxim is a big broad-based company. And there's a bunch of smaller ones. You know, um, you can look at, um, you know, Avago and you can, there's a bunch of other companies you can look at and just try to get a sense for anything about days of inventory as a proxy for, you know, what's happening um, in terms of production versus consumption. I think looking at the distributors is interesting, Arrow, Avnet, et cetera, because you get a feel for is demand kind of growth exceeds. So what are the, what are the other new uh, things that you're so watching? I like time? that. back, And then I'd say in, in, in the industrial space, you can do some of the same thing too on backlog. Um, I'm definitely focused on um, you know loan growth and demand for loans. I know the banks analysts always do that, but I kind of thought it was nerdy bank stuff earlier. And now I'm like, you know what? It kind of is an important proxy because we need to see demand for loans pick up. If you start seeing that pick up, it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's good for bank growth. On the other hand, People must want the money and have some project that merits you know, yeah, borrowing yeah. it. I still think there's too much capacity there. Um, so, you know, I have a buddy who bought a building in uh, Central Florida. He said, I don't know, I, I had nine banks call me. He's like, I don't know what they're calling me for. I, you know, I put down a few million, I borrowed a few million. They can't wait nine to put banks. that money to Yeah, work. so, yeah. you know, it's, there's a lot of capacity there. But if you start seeing like that dynamic change. So I think you're right. I totally agree with you, Josh. You got to look at like non-traditional signals because everyone's following the same, and a big lot stuff. of the si- and a lot of the signals that historically everyone follows, they're like from another era. Yeah, and they just may not be like as Cape indicative of the, and, and the real situation. Cape and Schiller P and Phillips curves and so all kinds I, of. I want to I want to pivot. Yeah. You made a call on small caps, yeah. and I find it interesting the degree to which small caps have underperformed yeah. relative to large caps, and it's not like a three year thing. You're saying it's a twenty year thing. I'm war. I, look, I I just noticed it had been bad for like you know. Usually, small caps work in a risk on tape. Now maybe they underperform because they're worse at passing. They, they don't have the pricing power and they can't handle the commodities. But they in a big uptape they underperform. They what's the what's the discrepancy? I'm looking now. It's ugly. Ooh. It was 16 percent last year. I think it's another few percent. What are you doing? A ratio chart? Yeah. Just, IWM into SPY. Yeah, it's just it's just not pretty. This goes back like 10 years. Yeah. So, what's the number? Uh, I'll tell you this. Okay. We, pu- we, pu- we published it a couple weeks ago. It's just sort of like my thought was like, had you been right here and you'd been underweight small versus large, like maybe you got to start like truing that up. Now, the biggest criticism or pushback to that is probably the point I made earlier, which is these companies don't have as many non-US employees and they have therefore have more wage pressure in the US space. And so here, that's probably right. the biggest criticism. And then I guess also if you think we get higher tax regime, you alluded to that earlier, like these companies – Tend to have higher statutory ain't rate. Gonna be, ain't going to be a, a higher tax regime. I don't think so. Biden's uh, pretty vulnerable right now, and the midterms are going to be a shit show for the Dems. I wonder what happens when you compare um, sector to sector because financial uh, financials, small caps are industrials, health healthcare, and they have more banks. Financials. They have a lot more banks. So, yeah. like when you look at small cap industrials versus large cap industrials, I wonder if that tells a different story. So in Q4 last year. Um, I like it when you wonder and I actually have the answer. I hope that keeps happening. And Q4 last year was the first time ever where all 11 gig sectors equal weight underperformed the S&P. 
So that's the magnitude of the how much large cap work. Wow. It, it, yeah. It was the first time in like 30 years. I mean, back in our the, the history of our database. So, so it like, is large it's small. been it's been everywhere. Yeah. And um and, and so that that was kind of a you know a, a tough one for the hedge funds because a lot of my clients like they're purposely trafficking in the smaller cap names because they can do their fundamental work and they don't want to just tell their LPs yeah I own you know Amazon for you it doesn't look like and, beta right even though it's maybe Russell beta right. it doesn't feel exactly like it's beta. and so they're like you know maybe they I'm not saying I'm not trying to give my my clients an excuse but like they were fishing an 11 percent a pond not 27 and that's a meaningful difference and if you're running 50 60 percent net. You know, your alpha bogey is, you know, 5 6% last year, not, you know, 27 S&P or whatever people were benchmarking. All right, so this is you. Uh, as we noted at the beginning of the year, size matters. Small caps have had their worst 18-month period of underperformance relative to large caps in the last 20 years. That's through the end of last year, that 18-month? Th- yeah, I think, well, COVID, I think, I think we stripped out COVID in the financial crisis. But other than those two, I think it was the worst. All right, so yeah, the, yeah. you said adjusting for historical discounts and current margins, small caps appear – more attractively value than large caps. Small cap margins have recently begun to improve, are still below long-term averages, right. whereas large cap margins have softened. Nearly 50% of all small caps trade below 15 times yeah. forward PE. That's cheap. Yeah. And ample single stock small cap opportunity exists. So I I agree with you, but if you're an investor and you're not looking like to generate alpha, but you just want to put small caps in your portfolio – is there a better thing to do than just own the Russell 2000? Like, yeah, what would you tell people? I, yeah, to I always, tilt toward I or? always think that because, you know, um, you know, we're all, I, otherwise it's hard for me to get up at five in the morning thinking that all the analysis we do is 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 worthless. If it's just, yeah, you know, so what would you what would you tell people? Where would you tell people to fish if they want to add uh, that to their so, portfolio? So we, it really comes down to, and I'll give you the areas, but it really comes down to sector by sector where I think the relative estimate achievability is better. So in in banks, I actually don't really like the small caps as much. That's like one area we said we'd like large caps more because they have higher return on tangible. The, the, the price to tangible hasn't gone up as much as the balance sheet improvement is merited. They have other businesses lines besides pure interest rate play, right? So that's it's not across the board. But like you know, in energy, yeah, I think you can make a ton of money still in the small caps. They're already up a ton, but they tend to be more statistically significantly associated above and beyond equity market beta to move the okay. oil prices. So, you know, I, I love small cap energy. I love metals. Um, I think I cannot come up with a scenario where demand growth will, you know, meet supply growth in the next two or three years in in aluminum or copper or whatever. So, okay. um, so those stocks have moved, but not that much. Yeah, I think they can go up, you know. Two to six hundred percent more in the next three years, or something like that. It's not. It's not. You know, they're going to be down. You get a ceasefire announcement, they're going to be down yeah, fifteen, yeah. and then you're just buying that every time, as opposed to some of these other things. And then I think, um, I, I think if you go across all the sectors, I think you know, I like the smaller and mid cap biotech and healthcare stuff more than the large cap generally. And, you know, you know, where innovations just got crushed. Um, you know, so I don't want to buy Amgen at thirteen times. I'd rather buy a bunch of profitless things on a call option that could work. You know. If the drug so I was going to ask you, how do you guys generate? Like, let's say your call is small caps, and you, so you, you're coming up with names in each yeah. of the sectors that are small cap names that your clients can focus on. Yeah. So, like this week in consumer, we we noticed that like you know the small cap staples, consumer staples look really expensive relative to their profit profile, but a lot of the value, uh, low quality discretionary ones are super cheap. So we're rather long the discretionary than the staples, all else equal, that that kind of stuff. So we're always trying to find. Um, you know, where the market seems to have taken um, either either has too high estimates or is paying too much money for the current, you know, profile. 
What do you think about profit margins? Just they don't stop going up. So inflation's rising, but in, but companies are passing them along and then some. So, I mean, look, the mega cap, large cap stocks, I don't think saw any gross margin contraction um, through COVID, right? I mean, the, the universe. Um, you've seen some from the top recently. Uh, we're off highs on gross margins. But I focus on gross margins more than stuff down the income statement. Um, Why? For a couple of reasons. Um, one is the farther down the income statement, the more the companies can manipulate what's on there. Uh, two is that a lot of the stocks trade more on changes in gross margin like semis and industrials than they do on the bottom. So if you're focused on making money, you got to look at that. And three is I don't think the quality of estimates is as good. And so it feels a little more arbitrageable. Like everyone has an EPS estimate. The company guides it to some range. Some of the companies aren't as good about the gross margin. So there isn't a deep, rich history of sell-side consensus estimates for forecasted gross margin. So I think you can like traffic in there and find something that's mispriced a little bit easier. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. And and also, like, it's cleaner. Like, I know COGS. Like, COGS is labor, materials, or depreciation, right? That's it. So once you get below that, it gets complex. Like, I don't know. Is it also true that intangible assets and things that don't appear in a balance sheet or an income statement are more relevant to large caps, whereas small caps, it's a little bit more hardcore? Give me the financials and shut the f*** up about the story. I, 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 think, I think that could be – I think that could be part of it. It's a little bit – you get more mispricings, right? Like yeah. generally um, there's, a, there's a signal we look at called dispersion of analyst estimates. And like if they're super tight, those companies usually trade at a premium because there's more certainty about what they're going to earn. So like Coca-Cola, like everyone's like plus or minus one cent, right? Whereas – Oh, that's interesting. You go the to wider, like – The wider you know, the estimates, yeah. the less likely there will be a premium to yeah, the valuation. Exactly because you're a little bit uncertain – you you pay for Maybe certain. Tesla was a big exception to that, though. There's definitely exceptions over okay. time, but if you bought the top quintile and dispersion and shorted the bottom, yeah, yeah, you yeah. made excess return. So, um, so I think I think the certain people want certainty in this environment. Like if I go down the line, I mean, um, what what do I think is mispriced? Like I think it's mispriced in every sector. So that's why I'm like pretty. Maybe part of my like. Like general positivity is it's not like and I've had this problem in the past where like I don't want to buy anything like nothing looks awesome to me but I'm like I don't know should I buy some casinos maybe because the Chinese people like to gamble yeah are they going to get more restrictive is COVID going to get worse two years from now I don't think so I, you know so all of a sudden I'm looking up the Melco leaps uh, and maybe there's something interesting like you know so the Melco yeah leaps. I mean if you want to get dirty <laughs> let's look at the Melco leaps so I'm just saying there's stuff to buy is look around like I'm a little bit less into your airlines and, and, and cruises comment just because you got you know I'm a bull on oil and I just think that's a problem and then also I have a little like the Peter Lynch thing of like you know I get like psychosomatically you know, vomit is thinking about going on a cruise. But like, I, I don't, but like, you know. I'm the same way about going into a casino though. Oh, really? Yeah, I can't. But do you don't, you, you know, if you've ever been to Macau? No, uh, never. It, you got to go. It's like just to see it. N- yeah. Not now because of COVID, but I'm saying eventually, yeah. Well, after World War III, depending on who won, that's when I'll <laughs> go anywhere near there. Uh, I want to talk about. Look, we just got we just got bearish in a hurry there. That was yeah. a that was a that was a, a, a reversal. I'm not I'm not or, I'm not calling for World War Three. Yeah. Um, John, put up this yield curve chart. So on Tuesday, on Tuesday, the twos and tens finally inverted. Right, they've been on this collision course. It's like Rachel and uh, and uh, what's his name on Friends, Ross, Ross and Rachel. Like when. When will they? So this was always going to happen, right? right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then it finally, like, it happened really fast. And it's not like a kill switch for the economy or anything stupid like that. But you must have gotten questions about yeah, it. Yeah, we do. All right, tell got us. Got some stagflation give us questions. Your on, give got us your stick on yield curve inversion, stagflation. 
What what do what do we need to know from your perspective on this? Do you think? Look, I mean, so backing up, like the Fed's engineered the the soft landing three out of twelve times. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, so that's that's you know. Um, that's one set of data over you know half a century. Um, I, I don't even know how relevant that is because some of those they didn't even communicate. There were no dots. There was no expectations. There was no what's Greenspan the price. didn't do any of this right. shit. So so right. it's a little bit different. But I'm saying the facts are three to twelve. Um, you know I do think the banks uh, are in way better position and in, in balance sheet wise and you know days of liquidity and the like. You know, um, so I think there's some offsetting things. And I think one of the challenges we have with this is like I'm I, one of my many learning lessons I've had on Wall, Wall Street. I was at an Intel analyst day. You know, thousand people back in the day, San Francisco, Moscow and Center. I get in the line. I'm an analyst. I raise my hand. I ask the CFO a question, and he goes, Adam. Uh, I was about gross margins. Adam, I'll, uh, uh, it's a 19 variable uh, question. I'll happily help you with one of them. And then he starts laughing and everyone's laughing like, oh. right. and I think some of it's that like well, there's like 19 variables like what's the starting interest rate for the 10 year like twos and tens are a parity but they're not 17 versus 17 they're they're two versus two like it's not you know there's always a million you know consumers in great shape but the you know there's a war even if whatever. the record yeah. even if the record is what it is though it's yeah, a, so 312 it's is not great a, um I don't think that you can prove that um, this causes... I agree. It's yeah. always different. It's always different. And there's always too yeah. many variables right. to point to any one. So, but, but, but I don't think it's a good sign. One. I don't think it's a good sign. I, what I did is I told you, I bought some two years in the PA. And I'm like if I were a wealth manager looking at like the distribution of outcome, out, I, I would rather own the two-year. Than the 10-year. Than the 10-year. 10, 10 basis for, points more. For sure. You'd I have think to. it's insane. So will that be enough of demand that ultimately the two-year comes in? Or is the 10-year going to back up more? Like that's the equation. But like for me, if you have guys with you know excess cash, like why wouldn't they buy the two year at this price and just wait if they don't need it. Like it seems pretty good to me. So that's that's new. I certainly didn't have that thought in the last <laughs> the last also, cycle. <laughs> why why yeah. can't the Fed just buy three months to two year and sell everything that's a later duration? If they want if they want to change the size of their balance sheet, start with whatever the longest duration stuff you have is. And doesn't that steepen us or or at least counterbalance the the flat flat yield curve. Yeah, I mean, if the economy's strong, I mean, ultimately the tenure should back up a little bit more, I, I, I guess, or if the economy remains okay. Right. One of the things I learned at, at at Morgan Stanley is that these the the interest rate guys always talk about supply and demand dynamics, and then they're always wrong, right? So think about like QE one, QE two, QE three, twist. Oh, the tenure yield this is going to back up because there's all the supply coming on. Every time when there's a risk Never off happened. trade, it goes lower. So like. I don't. If we're if we're nervous, I don't. I don't know how the tenure backs up a ton. You know, so I think it's my my answer to steepening is going to be people buy the two year. Right? Isn't it I, also, I think isn't also true that if whatever, I'm doing it, other people other people are smart whatever's intuitive it. doesn't necessarily happen. Yeah, and I always think about I don't know what you were doing during like 11 years ago when uh, 2011. Yeah, when when uh, the Treasury was cut by S and P. Yeah. Uh, from AAA. I remember for the there was first like a time US ever. CDS chart was being plotted. Yeah. 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 And the response was a huge rally in treasuries. Yeah. So, like, when you see something like that happen, you just say to yourself, the stocks are hard enough. Yeah. I'm not going to kind I'm of do kind of. Look, rates. I shorted the yen six times in my life, my PA, because I would like get lost and this whole country <laughs> makes no sense. And I shorted it every time I lost money. And then when that Fukushima thing happened, I literally, which is a terrible, you know, a bad person. I'm like, oh, yeah, at least I'm gonna, this is terrible. I'm gonna make some money, and then I lost money anyway because then all the money came in. So even during the nuclear thing, I lost money. So I right. called my advisor, and I was literally like, "You're over serving the drunk guy at the bar. Like, stop letting me and what did short that the yen, the yen, and, and, <laughs> right. the, and, the, and the PA. Like, cut it out." So yeah, I think it's easier to find the dislocations in, in the U.S. stocks for me, and that's obviously where I spend all my time. But I, I, if I get the tenor of your question, like, I don't think it's great for the small cap banks. 
Okay, so that's one of the reasons on a relative basis. You need steepening, right? You need something to borrow and lend and capitalize on the differential. And if they're the same, I don't see that. I don't think that's good. So I think that's to me like an underweight. Whereas right. I'm not sure it's that bad for you know Morgan Stanley or Goldman or JP Morgan if there's activity and there are other business lines or whatever. I mean, on a relative basis. So I kind of like that pair trade. Hey Adam, this is a dumb question, but you're talking a lot about fundamentals. Like, how long do we have to wait for prices and fundamentals to converge? Look, that's a that's a great question, and you can you can be fundamentally right and bankrupt right up for sure. Um, you know, I think fifty percent plus the money's run passively, right, and then probably another big chunks run in pods. So, like the active, you know, kind of day to day stuff that you control can sometimes be ten fifteen percent. So you can get dislocated for a decent time uh, for sure. But I, th- you know, the, big, I th- the biggest hedge funds that exist now. Are not trading on fundamentals. Systematic. Yeah, they're systematic. The quants. They they they're not price and liquidity. And they're systematic on. They're on not prices nostalgic about I know, things. I, that I know. I know. Morgan Stanley pub- reported this, and it could be dated, but at one point, thirty percent of the whole equity business was two to five day holding period. Right. So. Wow. You know, so obviously that's only price and liquidity signal. So is that an advantage for people who are doing work? I, I hope so. I, I Most of our, our quantitative models that predict subsequent return to the stock level are 18 months forward, right? So I, th- I, I think the answer to your question is that's where like the signal decays, but you know, still has some value in that direction. So I think it's over 18 months. So if people want like the answer, like what happened this week, like I guess your your, your initial chart's 100% right. It's got to be some flow yeah. thing. So if we're talking about- yeah, It's got to be that. If you know? we're talking about economics and companies' fundamentals growing, their earnings, but we're at simultaneously for the first time in a while having liquidity drained from the market by the by the Fed pulling back, yeah. what's going to win? Is that like the immovable force? No, I mean, I don't think the balance sheet- Getting that sent- like what sentiment plays as big a role as those two things? So yeah. fundamentals, there's the monetary situation, and then how do people react to how it? How anticipatory has this been already, right? Because some of it is in the yeah. – some of it's in the price. I never say it's all in the price, but look, what I, what I, what I did – I'm going to go to work I did, right? Like we did some work looking uh, – the, the Fed publishes their balance sheet every Wednesday. So you can get the week-over-week change in the Fed balance sheet. You compare it to the week-over change in the S&P. Overall, sector level is statistically significant, yes. So when the Fed was expanding the balance sheet, it was statistically significantly associated with a higher equity market. Like that that was a factual thing and we published it and you could see it actually impacted the financials and tech the most when it was happening. The interesting thing is when the balance, the balance sheet hasn't really come down. So you can't like really statistically significantly observe the inverse yet. You just have to surmise that it acts yeah. the same. We've, we've grown it at a less rapid rate. But we can't say it's in the price. We haven't even right. We haven't seen like massive week right. over week declines in the Fed balance sheet, and then I could tell you, hey, empirically, here's your answer. Because like I don't know, it stands to reason that it won't be great because it was statistically significantly associated on the upside. But there are a lot of like one way streets in, in equity markets where it doesn't necessarily work the exact way in reverse as it did in the up market. I think the market's going to be harder going forward than it was over the past few years. So I don't I wanna, see any so other. I, I agree. Like, I agree with that, yeah. but I think that's a consensus too, okay. right? Yeah, for sure. I want to ask you so that like your. I don't know if call cheapens it, but your perspective on the market this year is like, we can power through this as long as everyone's expectations are a little bit lesser, less upside in stock prices, less upside in earnings growth, but enough to keep keep us afloat till the next thing. If I were talking to, you know um – people who day-to-day wanted like, where's your S&P target, which thankfully I'm not. Yeah, I would no, I would go, I, what I would say is, I think there's a 2.5% net net buyback plus dividend. There's one and a half, two percent boosting to S and P earnings by adding companies in and taking companies out. Like there's, a, you're, you're taking six percent of the companies that, that are much. Up. It's, it's it's big. Equivalent to the buyback and dividend is just yeah, switching yeah, out yeah, stocks. Yes, 
Pretty Did you know cool. that? It's pretty big. And then there's 4% or so organic growth, something like that. So let's say it's a 7 to 8% total return algorithm. And so the multiple's at 20, 21 times forward, depending on your forward earnings. Maybe you're at 21, I'm at 20, well, whatever, okay? And the long-term average is 17 times forward. That's since 1978. So we don't have a ton of history when rates were high, but that was, okay. So is 20 fair versus 17? Maybe, because less capital intensity, 45% of companies don't even have inventory as part of their business model. They're, the banks are in superior position. Like, maybe. So I I don't know if the value in the bonds are worth, you know, like nobody, nobody, I would not buy a bond and hold it for a very long duration, uh, you know, five, 10, seven years. So like, yeah. I'd rather own the S&P for five years than bonds, right? So I, I still, I, I don't like that, like, you know, there's no other alternative thing, but like, it's get it really isn't. No, seven, it really seven, 8% isn't. total return algorithm isn't terrible. And I think that's a base case. Now that we're down, when you get down 10, I don't want to say it's definitely going to be 7, 8% up from the down 10 yeah, in the next six but months. But there really but, isn't an alternative. If you own your home and you're not speculating in other real estate, it's not like you go to private equity dude, and pay a discount. Gutter cats. What are you talking about? Right. So no, but there's so many. But there's things. There's things like I, I'm always thinking about. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to buy some natural resources directly. I love energy. I love commodities. Like, maybe I should buy metals. What about, uh, um, you know, everything's le- elevated. Legal cases. I'll buy those. Like, you, you can. There's all legal kinds of co- cases. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. There's all kinds of stuff you can buy finance. that's interesting, uncorrelated. Yeah. There's tons of cool stuff. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm. But, but the bulk of money, like, I don't know what the numbers are for. Like, there's only a, so much I can go into that. Right. That but stuff. like, even if yeah. I, the two trillion back in the day, Morgan Stanley, I think only eight. Was million was even uh, uh, billion was even like qualified, right? So you can't buy uh, you know all the stuff. So when you go down the list, like yeah, I don't know if there's a huge alternative, and I think you could get flows in here as people look around. And they say, all right, so it's a seven percent total return. Or Adam's crazy. It's a five percent total return algorithm. Where do I get five? It's not Adam, that bad. If, if I had to say one thing though to stock like stock market investors who are asset allocating and they're doing stocks and bonds, like one thing that will always be true, and they should always remember the money has to go somewhere. Yeah. And we never make less money in this country. Yeah. Like that's a really powerful. It's powerful. It's it doesn't powerful stop head, uh, the stock market from temporarily getting cut in half. No, for sure. Hey, let me ask but you. But eventually. Yeah, I, to, I agree with that. And, and, and so maybe now, maybe now, like I've heard more and more in the last two months, people ask about non-US equities, right? And, and so- you know, I, I'm not a fan of that. It might go there temporarily. It never stays I'm there. not a fan of that. <laughs> what I work we've been doing, we've done a couple of these um, projects for clients. So we do a lot of bespoke stuff. I just say, here's the U.S. stocks that are the most correlated to that market. Why don't you just buy those? And if you want Europe, like basically you, what you're saying is you don't want tech and you want more utilities, energy, and banks. Like I can do that for you. Like you don't need to buy SockGen yeah. or whatever. I'll, you can just buy – City and Wells, or what you know, right. so you can mirror that. Chinese equities, we did a big note last fall when uh, August when when the market was getting killed there. Basically, our conclusion was why ever buy Bat J? Like, why would you buy you know Alibaba and Baidu and Tencent and JD.com? Like, you can buy U.S. semis, U.S. utilities, get the same return and have no Chinese risk. And those don't go U.S. stuff doesn't go down when China. Like, it, it's so I proxy it. I, I don't want to own it directly. And as I told you, like most advisors won't listen to you anyway. What, what what have the conversations been with clients over the last twelve to eighteen months? As a lot of these high beta, high growth, our complex names have gotten blown to kablooey. So, and what's your take? So one of the things that we do a lot of, um, I think we signed like 25 non-disclosure agreements with hedge funds, one long only the rest of hedge funds. Where Not to brag. 
<laughs> no, it's like two a month. It's not that many, okay. but that's I. Uh, but good. but that's what I do, like outsource chief risk officer kind of stuff, right? And they send us our, their portfolio, and then we kind of give our view of the of the risk uh, that they have. Maybe you know we try to say stuff that's not in Barra or Axioma or more semi fund services like that. Is obvious that things. what you really do? Yeah, we spend a lot of time doing that, and it's it's great. And so you get a window, and 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 the answer to your question is, a lot of guys had Texas hedges on where they were sort of long Texas. Texas hedge, like a, I'm long a compounder and then I'm short something, like I call it a melting ice cube, but really it's just, it's a factor bet that's like minus one times what I'm long. So they're like, they're long. It's a double down. Texas hedge means like, I'm, I'm, Give me an example. I'm short. Long Shopify, short no. IBM. Long, yeah. the Knicks, yeah. long the Knicks, short Charlotte, who they're playing tonight. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. And, Knicks are, and Knicks are the underdog. Yeah, your, your, your example is right, okay? Like you're long some hyper-growth stock that's you know kind of negatively correlated to rising rates, and then you're short something that's positively correlated to rising rates, and then when rates rise, you lose on both sides of the book, oh. right? So it's it's – so you know we we spent a lot of time looking at do you have the same idiosyncratic not a hedge yeah, yeah it's a, it's 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 yeah it. it's a Texas it. hedge means it's like Got a big it. destroy yeah. 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 yeah I guess you know but so it's 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 kind of a um, I think that was pretty prevalent because you know what worked the best in 2020 right the profitless Goldman software basket yeah. and biotech and yeah. like Arc and crypto and like IPOs. speculation yeah. and sw- uh, specs right so. Starting in like February of 21, we got that all peaked out, right? And so that stuff was probably way overvalued to start out with. And and um, that that I, I think people got over-indexed to it for a lot of last year. Are you seeing buyers step in or what? Are you, what are you, like what are you advising clients? I think what we're saying is if you want to buy hyper-growth profitless stuff, I'm, I'm like long biotech, short profitless software. Try to get rid of the arc factor, if you want to call it that, but get exposure to the innovation without having net exposure. She's not there as big as she is in – yeah, you know, yeah, right. and, and it's just like, like this is interesting. Fifteen percent of biotech companies ever generate positive cumulative free cash flow. So when you hear this lazy, like, well, the terminal value is affected by rising rates, like, not for biotech, because so none of them make any money anyway. So, so like they the get long- bought at premiums with the drug safe and effective before right. they have revenue. So I'd rather take a shot at that than bill.com, 24 times Bio- full sales. Deciding. Biotech's were the original TAM stories. It's like, how many people have sickle cell anemia? Okay, yeah, yeah. that's how we're valuing this company because but, they haven't sold so, shit. So the answer to your question is like, can 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 they get, ex- do they want net exposure to that? Not really to the sort of hyper growth so profit factor. So they're trying to do clean tech, biotech over software. So not advice. Find some pair trade in but there. But mo- long, Moderna, short, Zoom. Is yeah, that like an example? I mean, I mean Zoom. Is that a South Shore hedge? Uh, yeah, Zoom, I think, um, is, you know, we, we pitched this stuff as short ideas for a while, and I, I think that basket makes sense. I, we think they're just, like, kind of over-earning work from home, no moat, you know. Like, if you're a Microsoft Karitsu guy, like, what, what does Zoom bring to the party? Nothing. You, use Teams. Yeah. Yeah, you use Microsoft for everything. LinkedIn, Teams. We're doing all Google Meets Google now. Meet. By the way, thank you. So I didn't know this. Now, so when I set, when I, when I can put I, a ca- Can go, I open this in front of the it. mic? It's Crack gonna, it. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Here, I'll, I'll disguise it. When I send a calendar, when I send a calendar invite, I just turn the video on. I don't attach a Zoom's invite. I just hit Google. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. A lot of a lot of clients There's do this boat. thing with me Doesn't where they exist. they they send the Zoom link, but then they don't turn the camera on. You know, it's like it's like a it's like a Heisman for me. You know, I don't like, get that. That's, oh, I'll, I'll be out of the meeting. If that's they do a weird that move. It happens all the time. We'll do like a thirty person, thirty clients are on, and like only the one guy's on, and everyone else is like you know mute. Like? mute and I don't know if they're that's in their the PJs. Two-way mirror. Or, yeah, that's like a two way mirror yeah. interrogation. Yeah, who does that? Where the cops uh, are on the other side. Eighty seven percent of institutional investors do that. Day. Oh, I'm just in my sweatpants. It's like, well, so I'm bald. So what? Turn your fucking camera on. <laughs> Yeah, are you? I didn't know you're bald. Oh, fully. The fun, Nike, fun fact Nike about hat, Michael. Nike hat's doing a good hey, job. Hey, I want to ask it. you. I want to ask both of you guys. Uh, I think Ned Johnson is like a giant. Yeah. 
and he just died this week. And there wasn't really a lot of attention paid to this, probably because he wasn't running Fidelity. But 91 years old, he basically took his father's company and made it what it is today. Not to take anything away from his daughter, uh, Abigail Johnson, but Ned Johnson III did like a really big thing in our industry. Yeah. Um, this is New York Times. And uh, they actually have quotes from Bogle about Ned and his obituary. I guess I guess they got them a while ago. Um, Mr. Johnson, widely known as Ned, led FMR, Fidelity's parent company, drove it to prominence in the 1960s. Jerry Sy. Heavily promoted, aggressively managed go-go stock funds. In 1974, the company helped popularize the fledgling money market business by allowing customers to write checks against this money fund. They They had like – a whole bunch of stuff that didn't work, but their big innovations were a really big deal. Yep. Um, at his death, Fidelity had more than 500 mutual funds, 11.8 trillion under administration. Yep. Um, the company's still half owned by the Johnson family. How about that operating and income? half by its other employees? They never had to go out and raise money, no IPO. Yeah, why would you go public if you, if you don't Listen have to? Listen to these numbers: <laughs> 24 billion uh, revenue, operating income of 8 billion. What would that be worth in the stock market today? Would it be as big as Schwab? Yeah, thirty billion. What's an no, upper Schwab? Are forty billion? I think bigger. I mean, eight, eight billion in operating income. Eight billion in operating income. I think you pay, you know, kind of. Ten, I got it. Ten. Ten. Yeah, maybe ten times income. I mean, I, I don't know what the taxes I are. Bet you in this, this economy, Adam. Eight. Adam, in this economy, this would be a big. No, I'm company. saying twenty times earnings. You know, I, you know, you're going to pay less than twenty times earnings for that, though, right? But. You know, but yeah, I, I, it's a real company. <laughs> Growing and, as fast or yeah. faster and than they, they Goldman Sachs or- yeah, they have a lot of good businesses and they do a good job across the wealth spectrum. You know, back back on your growth question though, like you asked, you know, I, I just answered like the hyper growth kind of biotech, you know, pair trade, clean tech over software. But I, I think most clients are trying to figure out who really has pricing power, right? It turns out when you, you know, when I got to Morgan Stanley in, in the fall of 2010, there was the same theme about pricing power. I interviewed all the analysts. Josh will love this. And magically- all the ones they said had pricing power, they were overweight rated. And all the ones they said didn't have pricing power, they were equal or underweight weighted. So you're like, all right, this is, you know, garbage in, garbage out. I need, right, right. I need another way of doing this, right? But, you know, I, I think people are trying to really figure out um, which which kind of growth stocks have positive free cash flow and margin expansion. Shopify. And not, really? you know, I, I think it's mixed. Like, it's I don't, that particular thing I think people are more mixed on. But I, I think it's more... I, I won't own the 80% margin, decelerating revenue, negative free cash flow, 20 times sales stuff right now. That just doesn't feel like it's going to find its footing. Yeah, sure, if I get a directionally dovish comment from Powell, they're all going to rip 8% one course. day. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about like the you know, kind of structural. So I think it's more around back to that gross margin, positive free cash flow theme. And there are some out there. You know, I've had, we've had some questions, you know um, – Picking around, picking around those kind of stocks and asking for screens and asking mo- a couple of guys that we put together short baskets for that are really like which ones have decelerating revenue and negative free cash flow. So the 23 estimates are below 2022 for revenue. They're still above 10 times sales. They're betas of one and a half or higher. And, you know, like I, I'm going to short, you know, 25 of those guys, you know, 20 pips each, get a 500 pip short on it, and I'll buy some, you know, pricing power margin expanders against it and try to like, you know, are the, grow. Are yeah. the private markets more important than ever. Wait, hold on. Before that. we go there, two things. One, how much do you say Fidelity's revenue was? 24. Because Schwab's is 18. Yeah. What Schwab's market cap? Uh, So let's see. 60? I don't think it's, yeah. How big is it? Uh, Oh, shit. Well, is this after their merge? 160. So. 100. Oh, well, cause cause they bought TD. Yeah. But before we move off Ned Johnson, so he, 
for, I don't know, the Times of the Journal. He offered retail customers the ability to conduct transactions by toll-free telephone. He pioneered walk-in investor centers and he revived and then popularized funds focused on specific industry sectors like healthcare. This was new to me. I'm sure you guys both know this. In 2004, Abigail Johnson sought to vote her father out of his position over disagreements with some business decisions. The plan fizzled after he learned of it and issued enough stock to dilute his children's ownership. That's like a succession. Yeah. Do you remember that? It's, it, I think it was less cinematic than that. I vaguely remember that this was a thing that happened. Trivariate really, Tri really likes Fidelity, and we so we, do we. Find them we're happy upset. Fidelity. Yeah. We're happy Fidelity customers. No, nothing bad. Yeah. Wait, last thing, last thing. So <laughs> you spoke about like if they were public. So in an interview a decade earlier, a reporter asked Ned Johnson when Fidelity might offer its stock to the public, and he said, "What well, I'm dead and buried." Okay, I don't blame him. So I mean, I, I mean, listen, you know, think about think about like you're a, you're a public company and you're you're raising money and like and then you have analysts like a 35-year-old version of me or Josh Brown calling you, asking you all kinds of questions. Like, do you want to do that or yeah. do you want to stay private? Yeah. Like, which one sounds better to you? Like, I wouldn't go public if I didn't need the money. Mm -hmm. He said in 2007 <laughs> in Institutional Investor Magazine, Ned Johnson said, while outsiders may be given important roles, family members need to be prominent to provide stability and, quote, an ongoing philosophy or culture of doing things a certain way. It's impossible on Wall Street especially to have like all these different masters and keep whatever culture you had private. It doesn't mean it's necessarily negative. It's just not going to be the same. There's a lot of – I think there's a lot of truth to that, For sure. especially if it's a family business. Um, all right. Well, shout out to Fidelity and I just thought uh, – Interesting, yeah. This, guy, this guy's life was incredible. Just what, what he was able to take from from the prior generation and build. When I, I, start, is, when I started as a semiconductor analyst um, – you know, uh, I was at a I was at a um, Fairchild Semiconductor Analyst Day in Portland, Maine, and uh, you know, there's 20 guys up there, and um, CEO CEO goes, "Yeah, you know, thanks for coming up here. We're gonna we're gonna miss earnings." And everyone <laughs> ran to the everyone ran to the cell phone to call Fidelity. You know, it was like you, right. you know, get, let them know what's going on. I mean, it was the it was the um, <laughs> epicenter of the, the the buy side. It was the most important, you know. Fund. And it's epicenter of retail, biggest uh, 401k market in the world. Uh, we were going to talk really quickly about um, about uh, private markets. I wanted oh, to ask you, because sure. this is probably a backwater for somebody that's covering the public equity markets up until, let's say, five years ago. Now you have companies in the private market that are bigger than most of the companies in the Russell. When they come public, they're so big that they actually make a dent in like market cap of other stocks. Yeah. Uh, how much attention are you paying to that world? I bet you half your clients are, if they're not crossover funds, they're considering becoming crossover funds. Do you think about private the same way you think about public? Like, what's your take on all that? Yeah, I mean, for sure, a lot of the large clients, um, I wouldn't say they have cross, the, the word crossover fund, I would say is smaller, meaning like they, they don't necessarily cross pollinate the private and public in the same fund. Um, but they definitely have both separate private they funds. They have analysts covering private yeah, companies. They definitely have sure. a private After, fund and yeah, a public yeah. fund at the same umbrella. Right. The crossover themselves, I think there's less of that. But Maybe the, probably fir growing. the firm crosses over, the, the fund firm doesn't. Does. Yes, okay. well said. And also, they yeah. need to have analysts analyzing the private companies that are competing with I, the public ones. I think so. I'd also say, and maybe this is just like an old man thing to say, but like it's statistically significant that the people doing the covering the private ones are younger. You know, like they're just kind of, you know, tearing I bet that's true. Yeah, I see that, you know. Um, but- you know, I, I think it's because a lot of the hedge fund guys who got really wealthy and successful, you know, 2000 to 2010, like their traditional model changed, okay? You really can't make any money unless you do one of three things, right? You either got to run huge gross, run super concentrated, or you got to take like 
big factor bets or risks and be right. Okay. right? If you don't do that, you can't make money. So these guys realize like, all right, my days of like 40 long, 60 shorts, 120 by 80, 40% now, I can't make any money. Like I'm, I'm like, these yeah. machines are killing me. Like I'm not, you know. So they, you know, already got rich and they started bolting on private businesses. And then that really worked for a while because you got into, you, you know, see it, all the stuff that's killed it. You give a company $10 and then they go public six months later for eighteen yeah. billion. Yeah. It's so like, why these, don't we just do yeah, this? Yeah, all these guys got a second wave of wealth by, and we're in, like you were pointing out with rates before, it was a one way street on rates, and private was really just a levered, a levered long call when rates were falling. What's the research you know, scene? What's yeah. the research scene like though? Where like where do hedge funds get their research on unicorns and shit that? They want to be aware of. They might be in on the IPO. They might come in on the last funding round. Pitchbook. Is it? I think it varies. I think, yeah. yeah. I think some guys. Because you, you could build that. But I say in the tech space, though, um, you know, a lot of these guys really, really follow the technologies yeah. and they know what's up and coming with a software or semis and they're they're really immersed in it. And, um, you know, they talk to the guys on the private side and they talk, they look at all the um, – one of the things that I don't do a good job of, and you know, maybe you guys follow, but you know, if you look at like Google and Apple, these companies they're constantly buying like little companies here and yeah. there. You don't notice it's two hundred million there and hundred million there. You would only notice if one of your buddies sold this company for two hundred million. But short of that, <laughs> that doesn't even register on the P and L. It happens all the and, time. And you, yeah. so go to Bloomberg and type in like Google Equity CACs, the corporate action. You know, click on M and A, and there's like eighty seven things in there that are all like two hundred million. So these guys are animals. Are looking at what is that? What's the technology? What are they buying? What's it competing with? You know, how, how's that? Yeah, that's a full time job. Yeah, That's and, not- I, and I don't do that because it's like, you know, but um, so I think a lot of guys in, in tech and obviously in healthcare um, are all over that space. So what the story is SoftBank made 195 pri- uh, private company investments last year. Yeah. Um, there was a big write down for Instacart, which is one of the biggest unicorns that exists. And is this, this is a SoftBank uh, driven thing or not uh, necessarily? No, I don't think, I don't think they, no, the, no, the company did that, which is interesting. This wasn't like Fidelity or t It's Instacart. So they said, we announced to our team that we will be aligning new equity awards for existing employees and new hires to an updated company valuation that reflects current market conditions. No employee is going to go work there if they know that they're getting options or whatever that's 40% overvalued. So, invest, I mean, so, no, so investors valued more than 40% it. 40% comp relative to your Investors peers. valued it at $39 billion already. Last March, and this is everybody. It's Fidelity, D1, Sequoia, T. Rowe, right. Andreessen. Right. And the company saying, actually, we're going to value ourselves less in for what? Just for stock incentives? Well, I guess for like empl- for employership. But we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago that I think T. Rowe and Fidelity both did write them down. One was like 5%, one was 18%. But it's yeah. like, yo, DoorDash is down 70%. Yeah. You know I- – I, I think holistically on the on the private side, like I, I I guess I do view it as like it was a levered long call on the public a public market, and so I think if rates are going to rise, it is going to challenge the return profile of that space a little bit more. And um, I think the valuations of the private companies aren't going to be. As what if that's better though for the investor real- in the end? It's an adjustment on whatever shit they just invested in now, but the next hundred deals they see are going to be more realistically priced, potentially. Maybe. I mean, all these SPACs are so unfilled. There's so many of them. We'll see. But that's the thing. There's yeah. too much supply. In yeah. 2020, There's 21, excess capacity in every part of it. I, I, I don't know. Like, you've invested in private equity stuff in your personal life, right? Like, yeah. it's such an unuser-friendly experience. Like, like I-, I it's, getting, I, it's getting better all the time. All right, so I invested in one, in a big one at 14 and 15, big for my relative, 
net worth. And like, I, you know, it's like. What was it, Uber? A company or a fund? I, I, a fund. I, a it's fund. a private equity okay. fund. And I'm saying the fund is. is and, and so the fund, I don't know, we got like two or three things that went public. And one of my buddies who told me to get in there was like, oh, this guy's been awesome. I'm like, all right. Maybe so. What? What? How much money are we up? Like I can't even figure it out because he distributed like seventeen IRR, grand to my thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Meantime, the S and P from fourteen or whatever is like been a monster. So like, is it up a hundred percent? I don't. I don't even know. You won't know <laughs> like, until I, all of the capital. I know, is but I know that what right, which isn't imminent. And I know that, like, the few things he, you know, spun off to me through the thing, like, I don't know, it, like, went into my chain, kind of, I don't know where it is. Like, my wife spent it. It's gone. I, I, so, so, like, I don't, you know, like, the, the friendliness of the experience isn't awesome. Like, I, I like a statement that's like, here's what you're up. We're getting there. We're so getting there. That's what I think the industry needs. Everyone on Wall Street is working on this With problem. With real marks. Yeah. Which, which With is real that. marks. There's a lot of companies coming in to do that. No, I know. There's yeah. a lot of technology. Yeah. And, I, and I think that's going to make the experience better. But I just think the returns benefited from a levered long totally. call. And I think it's good. Like you said, it's going to be a little harder. I think it's going to be a little harder there too. Yeah. There's excess capacity. A lot of businesses got overvalued. There's a lot of competition. Um, oh, I'm with, yeah. I think the illiquidity premium uh, worked because mm-hmm. you couldn't even sell that stuff. And in 16, you might have been bearish. Oh, no, it's Donald but, but Trump my, my, and Brexit. My, my point is, so the marks, those, the marks yeah. made you believe you were making more money totally. than you were. And now you're going to see the downside of it at, at this cycle. So, like, I, I don't – I was being – I was kidding a little on that. But I'm just saying, like, I don't I don't know if I would, like, make fresh allocations to that with, with the blindness that I did in 2014 and 15 when I did, like, my – you know, yeah, I was working at Morgan Stanley. All my wealth was tied up in, like, equities and Morgan Stanley style or whatever. And I was like, I had two smart friends who were doing – okay, great. Here, here's some money. Now I'm like, wait a second. Like, yeah, they did fine. Maybe as well. It ain't going to be. It ain't going to be non-correlate. If it, it used to be, which it, we don't even think yeah. it really was, it ain't going to be this yeah, time. I, I think, like, uh, you know, I, I think it's going to be highly correlated to like, gro- like growth equity. Totally. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Exactly. I still think there's yeah. too much money chasing too few companies in private markets. There's so much excess capacity in every part of our industry. Speak, speaking of, I wanted to ask you about. Yeah. What do you think about – you're a New York City resident. You yes. live uh, Upper yes. East Side. Yes. We're going to put your address in the show notes. <laughs> Why – so we're commuters, Michael and I. We're yeah. bridge and tunnel now. I yeah. used to live here right. when I was cool and thin. What, <laughs> what do you make of like NYC's comeback? Because from the compu- commuter standpoint, like all of the surveys are super negative about whether or not they're ever going to come back for good, more than one day a week. Like Newsday just ran a poll and it was something like 29% have any interest in coming in at all. This is people who normally commute into the city. It doesn't appear that way when you walk around. So what, like what's really going on from your perspective? Yeah. uh, Listen, the reason I, you know, live in the city and work in the city so I didn't have to commute. And when I went marketing in Connecticut on Tuesday, it took me like two hours and 30 minutes to get to Westport. So, uh, you know, I don't. I, I don't like commuting, but I, I, what I've noticed is that the big companies are realizing they can't get culture um, unless they can hire the new MBA classes and the new kids out of college and get them in front of like people who are a little grizzled and learn, learn from them. So they're going to want people in the office more. They just have the same wage and you know kind of employment problem everyone else has, so it's a little bit harder to make demands right now. But I think when things reach equilibrium, they're going to make people come to the office more because they just can't teach them culture and have we had no, we had Nick Colas on last week and he was saying like the knowledge on Wall Street is an oral tradition yeah. it's like passed down from like people meeting with older people listen like I, I when I was an associate a junior guy like you know what was awesome was like watching my boss like talk to a CEO on the phone about earnings right right like just seeing you know or like w- watching um you know senior PMs like ask questions and so like 
you know, now like that's an advantage. Like I'm, I'm talking to like guys who run big hedge funds and guys who like run P big PMs. And like, I got a couple guys in the, their twenties who work for me and they, they sit next to me and like, they're like, this is awesome. Like I, I'm never going to get this if I'm, never. If I'm not physically sitting you with can't them. get so, this from reading blog posts yeah, or listening yeah, so, to podcasts. So, so, I cannot. Think, so I think that that, that, that's not just like an old cool, you know, I walk up you know, the work uphill every day. You know, I think it's more like they want to get the culture. And then I think guys who run hedge funds are kind of sick of it now. They're like, look, I pay for everything. <laughs> There's 50 employees, like come to work. And sure, like I'm not going to come in Fridays in the, in, in, the, in the summer, I'll be in the Hamptons. But like, you know, I, I think guys who are, the animals who are in their 20s and 30s, they want to live in the city. It's more fun. You've seen that with residential apartment Well, they pricing. don't those – all right, so wait a minute. So is, I think the issue is like once they start like getting kids and want to like move out. I was going to say gonna those happen? people, yeah. you don't have a problem getting people in their 20s. You, yeah. you see my office. I have people here. Yeah. They're in their 20s. They live in apartments. They don't want to sit there all day. Right. They'd rather be they, here. The, the office is nicer than their apartment. It's bigger. So 40% <laughs> of employees who reside in Manhattan still say they're thinking of leaving. Uh, 48% if you live in the outer boroughs outside of Manhattan. This is, not, this is, this is last week, this right. poll. It's not great. Public safety is the number one issue. For only 40% of employees have returned to their offices in person full-time. 43% of people cite public safety. To only 27% cite exposure to COVID. So it's not even it's not even the f***ing pandemic anymore. No. It's that we have Gotham City with no Batman. And right. I don't think employers can do anything about that. I, I think in, look, I'm over so over next to the, the financial industry and performance and hedge and like to me, when markets up twenty seven last year, like why would you make anyone come in? Yeah. But this year, like guys are down eight come, and yeah. they're like, Hey, you know, I know we wanna we see you. Yeah. Nobody's making yeah. money. We yeah. wanna see yeah. you. Yeah, like let's you know, I wanna uh I wanna get get you in the office and, and let's 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 like really di dive through it. So like you know, maybe the big long only firm's a little slower because it's not their money and they don't care. But like if you're running a hedge fund, it's two billion dollar hedge fund and you're worried about like the viability of your business and you got like fifteen employees, like sorry, you're working Monday to Friday in the office in New York, period. So I, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I, I mean, definitely the residential market is back. Like you can't get three months free rent anymore in that market. It's only the commercial side. So yeah. I, I think the young kids want to and I think it depends on the corporates, you know. The bigger companies start mandating it. I can tell you that um, it really varies. What how's the Upper East Side? Doing? How's Campagnola on the a Monday night? The restaurants are packed. Everyone's the restaurants there. are packed. Yeah. You can't get reservations anywhere on the Thursday, Friday. What's your, what's your go-to Italian Upper East Side? Elio's? So for, Say Elio's. No, for, forever, I've always liked Scalinatella. Love Scalinatella. But the challenge has been... They have low ceiling, no ventilation, no windows. You don't like no going down into a no, basement next to Bloomingdale's? You know, no, I they, love they, the place. And then my mom, who's, the know, who's like 80, yeah, they're the they best COVID. COVID. They, they COVID, do COVID yeah. well. She was like, so I don't understand. Like the, the food's downstairs and the bathroom's upstairs. They, like, you know, that was her jam. But I, I've always loved it there. I've had so many great, great dinners with management with teams and like the pulse. For a place with like brick walls and no atmosphere and like zero cogs on their interior, I'll pay like 80 bucks for a Dover Soul. Like, uh, I don't know why. I, I, just, uh, I like the Cafe Antonucci? Oh, yeah, I like that place with can the I cheese get, and the I, thing. Can you buy on I that? haven't been there in a while. You know, I'd say generally it's busy in the city. I think the traffic is up. I think your point, though, holistically, it really varies. Like, I spend a lot of time in Florida seeing a lot of investors in Florida. It's it's crowded. Investors are in the office. There's no COVID in, 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 in Palm Beach. Nobody cares about in Miami. COVID. They're just using it as outside. a cover. They I think, don't in, want to go I think in Boston, it's the same thing. A lot of guys yeah. live in the suburbs. They don't want to take the 30 minute train to downtown. It's, they're like, oh, we're coming in Tuesdays through Thursdays. Like, 
I think culturally, if you run a firm, like that's going to be hard to keep for five years. I think so. We'll see. I think the younger guys in their twenties and thirties need to be in the office to 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 understand and learn what's going on. And I don't think you pick it up all from, you know, being off camera, on mute, on Zoom while you're in your you're bald and in your pajamas or whatever everyone's got. I want this is the last <laughs> yeah. thing I want to ask you, yeah. and then we'll get into favorites. Yeah. Um. What What would you your look? You've had an amazing career on Wall Street, and it's not obviously uh, just getting in, started. You're man. in your second career, just getting just started. Get started. What's more important for someone's career trajectory, do you think? The school they went to or the first job they got on Wall Street? Like, what sets the tone more? School is definitely not it. I mean, I'm totally the Frank Bruno, like, where you went is not who you'll be. Like, yeah, I, but doesn't that open the, the right doors for you? Or does that not matter I was, as much? I, I wasn't, in, I wasn't right. in that, like, you know, you in, in that, that? A, you know, elitist club. Like, I went to public school from Boston. I went to the University of Michigan. I wanted to go, you know. I was, but Michigan on Wall Street is Now, like, it wasn't in, in 1987. And, you know, uh-huh. I'm 52 years old. I'm 53 in May. Like, it wasn't. I was the only kid from my high school that went to Michigan. Um, and I went because I I, I I like sports, and and like so I have friends who are like tease me about Michigan. I'm like, all right, so it's got name a school. It's top twenty five like undergrad business, medicine, law, engineering, football, and basketball. Go ahead. Oh, Michigan. Maybe yeah. it's like I mean you start the list gets small. Go blue. <laughs> yeah. So I'm one of those Michigan assholes. But like I, I you know so I want my kids. You know, I raise them in the city. I want a campus, and like, I want that. And so we talked about Delray before. Yeah. The Michigan assholes fully took over Delray. I, in uh, yeah. eight, around Christmas because it was the uh, they played in the bowl. I was there. It was uh, the best. One of them. Eight minutes of my life was pregame in the parking lot. I had the best buzz going. And ten people. seconds after kickoff, I was like, "We are gonna get killed." <laughs> I've never my high to low reversal at the at the Orange Bowl was one of the highest. I was really uh, happy for that. All right, so yeah. <laughs> uh, let's say you wanted to pursue a so research not, career. Yeah, so it's not dash course. It's not that where you went, right? I mean, look, if you have a good personality and you work hard, it's effort and enthusiasm, right? I, like I could tell you right now, I'm purposely rec- I'm hiring. I, I, I have a strong anti-Ivy bias, okay? I want someone who's hungry. If they have any millennial stuff going on, I interviewed a guy who said, I want to surf at 3 o'clock every day. I'm like, you're out. I, I just, it's not uh, for me. interview is over. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like the good thing about Zoom is you just hit the leave button at that point. Right. Okay, so I, I'm like, you know, I want someone who wants to work hard, likes people, and it's hard to screen for that, right? Like, you know. Uh, PhDs. Poor, hungry, determined. Computer, yeah, you know, um, I, you know, for me, like, I, I never felt like, uh, you know, I thought a PhD for me was ninety nine percent perseverance, one percent intelligence, right? So, like, for me, I'm like a grinder. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't have like the, you know, no, that was, uh, that was what's his name? That was Ace Greenberg at yeah, Bear. Yeah. Poor, hungry, yeah. determined. That's the only PhD Ber- he wants to. Talk yeah. To. Bernstein. When I interviewed there, Sandy Bernstein, um, he died in February '99, right when I started interviewing. But like, it was, it was an old, crazy place, right? Like, they would play chess with people, and like, he, he was screening for like desperation. Right, like you know, like like that's what he wanted. Like, are you, right. you know, so like you know, um, that culturally like kind of infused in me a little bit of like. So I think the one of the you know, I only to- hire at billiards halls. I'm looking for like craftiness, <laughs> desperate little little I, mix. I, I, I agree with that. I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, I had this woman at Morgan Stanley only recruited at like Yale and Harvard and Wharton and Chicago, right? And then like once in a while they'd slum down to Michigan, right? You know, only if you went to Ross and go to four O. So I um. I had this woman, she worked for me. I loved her. And she went to Yale, Fulbright Scholar, spoke fluent Mandarin, but she was Caucasian. I mean, she was incredible. And she wanted to leave. And I'm like, what do you mean you want to leave? Like, what, 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 you're not leaving. Like, you're, you're, you're staying with me for the rest of your career. Like, I love you. Like, come, you know, what you're me. Where do you leave Morgan Stanley to go? So she, uh, the story, I'll, I'll make it fast. But basically, I was very disappointed. I understand why she was leaving. I tried everything I could do to keep her. 
And she basically was like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this. Like it's like beneath my dignity. I think was the answer. So when I talked to the HR person to replace her, I'm like, here's what I want. I said, I want someone who's broken. I want them to not have gone to a good school. That was me. That's why Josh Make, hired me. I want yeah, someone yeah. who went to not a good school. And I yeah. don't want to list the schools off, but they weren't the schools that that that. that What's uh, smart as shit? Queens College. No chip on the shoulder. Yeah. So I said, preferably athlete or accomplished musician who had bad grades their first two years, yeah. had some injury, then did a little bit better. So there's some aptitude there. But they present themselves as like a 3-0 from Michigan State who was like a track person. What does this HR person say? So this person's like taking notes. They don't get it. And two days later, they come back with a woman who had a 3-7 from Columbia who played field hockey. I'm like, I think that you <laughs> missed it. That's called an outstanding person. Like, what? Do you, what's wrong with you? Like, that person's not broken. They're field all hockey. Hot. Yeah, like she like. Right, yeah, I meant, I meant like someone who got like a 2-0 from like Rutgers You're because they were like hockey. playing football. You've got your shit they, together. Yeah, and she was 3-7 from yeah. Columbia. Yeah, they, are you? All right, are so you, they, they don't get it, but that's my jam is like a hungry kid. Are you hiring now? Yeah. I, guys, you know who my audience is, right? It's, yeah. it's like guys in their 20s, 30s, like- All right, here's here's who I want. Looking uh, to kill it. Okay, I want. I need, a, I need a salesperson who's physically based in New York who wants to sell research- to the people I listed off. They, they want to sell research hedge to hedge fund guys. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's business development. They'll have a percentage profit sharing. So the firm makes money. You, want make a, money. you know what you want? And an a fund, you want like a fund wholesaler who's f***ing done selling funds, right. but is knowledgeable and yeah. knows. Get, get, wants to read research five, five minutes, seven minutes a week, and then wants to call people and distribute it and sign up new clients that, that we don't have. We have a huge- right. yeah, Guys, so. if you're interested in that, here is Adam's cell phone number. <laughs> not, my cell, not my cell phone, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Adam at trivariateresearch.com. All right, dude, that's you great. A shot. And uh, let's get into favorites and we'll let everybody get out of here yeah. for the night. Cause- uh, I can't believe it. Been, this has been fun. Thanks for having is, me. This has been awesome. And uh, we really appreciate like all of the insight that you shared with us. This is the part of the show where we ask you like what you're watching or reading or like what books or anything that's non-financial, let's say, but that you think the audience would benefit from checking out. Yeah. Um, so I'm not like a, I'm not like a TV guy. So I'm glad you didn't ask me like what. Um, Name your favorite episode of <laughs> Severance. Um, I'll tell you the book that I'm reading right now. It's um, – um, Marie Yovanovitch, um, it's called Lessons from the Edge. Uh, she's the former uh, U.S. ambassador to Ukraine who got- Yeah, it didn't go well for kinda, her. Kind of screwed by by Trump. Yeah. And I'm like 80, 90 pages into it. I just started reading it. Uh, this is this is it. It's a picture of, is but, she in fact a Biden operative? What's going on with her? It's a very interesting book, an incredibly interesting book. I'm only, you know, I just, I mean, I knew it, but I'm, I'm like um, diving into it. I'm trying to not- um, as you can imagine, like I over-indexed to reading like earnings reports and earnings calls and like Wall Street research and writing. So I would, you know, eight or nine hours a day, like I'm doing that if I'm not talking to clients on the phone. So like between 5.50 a.m. and like 9 p.m., like uh, that's what I do. Like I either- What makes you pick up a book? What's the thing that you're looking for when you, you uh, want a distraction learn, from Wall can, Street? No, or? I don't read, I never read fiction, okay. but it's always just something I can learn, right? And that, I actually bought this book because I thought I kind of wanted to give her some money. I just yeah. felt like, you know, so like, you know. Um, Those hearings were crazy. Yeah. They were I, telling her her life was at risk. She had yeah, to get out of there. crazy. So, so far, I've only got to the beginning of her story, you know, Mogadishu and other places she was at. But, but uh, you know, generally stuff I can learn. I mean, um, I read uh, the Sackler book, Empire of Pain, recently. I just finished that. and um, Oh, that's Oxy. Oxy yeah, the Oxy stuff. Yeah. Very crazy, interesting. You know, st you know, like everything, like the, the grandparents started out with something interesting and then the grandkids ruined it. Sort of like Barney's The Clothing Store. You know, whatever that always happens, like the grandkids. Yeah. Yeah. Third generation. Double, double, double nepotism is usually uh, a short signal. You were asking for signals. <laughs> uh, Michael, what's your favorite? Um, what book am I reading? 
You gave us a podcast this week. Yeah. All right, whatever. I can't find this book. Um, it's about commodities. Doesn't matter. Good night, Moon. <laughs> what the hell? Is, all right, whatever. Anyway, um, so I, 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 you know, I'm like, a, I'm like, a, I would like to, I, one of the things I'd like to do more of, like, can I do the New Year's resolutions? I'm like, oh, I never read more books. I'm reading one book a month. Nice. That's, that's, that's what I'm doing. Fine. I like 12 a year. It's about yeah. my pace. I tell you something. Yeah. My, fa- my father in law retired five years ago. Yeah. So all he does is read books. Yeah, you, will have, you will have plenty of time to do that. Yeah. I don't know if I'm retired. Like, listen, I, I love doing this business. We're ramping. It's going well. And oh, like, no. He's like 78. No, I, I'm, I'm not, not, I I'm not retiring. Like, I, 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 me I, either. I, I think I want to do this for like the yeah. next 25, 30 years. I, I, I just, what I, what, what I learned, and like, this is a good example. Like, I, don't you always want to be talking to people in their 30s and 40s? Like, they're not like in their 20s where like you don't want to talk to them and they're not so old that they don't understand technology and stuff that's going on. Like, why wouldn't I want to like, Analyze markets. Talk that's to smart people. That's actually a really people. good point. Yeah. When are people the most interesting in life to talk to? Probably thirty-five. When they're thirty-seven. Yeah. Is that what you are? Yeah. He just. Yeah. He just. Yeah, tell you a couple years past. What do you uh, got for us? <laughs> you're a short. Um, I'm initiating a new short position on your personality at the thirty-seven. David Rubenstein was on with Patrick O'Shaughnessy. Amazing podcast. And we were talking earlier about. Private, I, love, I love his Bloomberg show, by the way. It's great. It's great. Yeah. We were talking about private valuations. Um, Brad Gerstner joined the uh, Chamath Jason uh, Kalkanis crew. That was very good. Right. Um, Rubenstein's show just jump. I, I leave great. my TV, uh, one of the TVs I have, I leave on mute on Bloomberg all day long. And like, you know, at night you look up and he's on, like, he, he's incredibly he's interesting not, interviewer. He's normal smart. He's like super f-ing smart for a normal person. Well, he's his, not like, story, his backstory is awesome, right? Like, I forget what it was. But, like, but his dad a was a mailman and he went to our, he's, right, right. Like a, he's like a normal dude. Yeah, I, I've heard him speak a few times. He's really entertaining. The, and, yeah. Him and the two co founders of Carlisle. Which, by the way, they just like they were at a hotel called Carlisle, and that's why they named the fund. They had a meeting in the lobby. I oh. think that's. I think that's. I, how like, they, I like those kind of stories. Yeah. So him, Tri-Bear, it's not that cool. I looked this up. Him <laughs> and the two founders still own a third of Carlisle, which is now public company worth like eleven, twelve billion. Yeah, he's got a couple billion. I know he does. He's a big like document pr- pr- preservation guy. So he has this whole like thing he tells at all the uh, you know when he's uh, uh, talking to people like. Hey, honey, uh, his, his wife says, what do you do? He says, oh, honey, I bought the Magna Carta today. Like, that's his rap. You know, yeah, he buys, yeah. like, a document preservation guy. It's, it's good. It's good stuff. I, I, I like, I, I'm sure I would like that. I just don't really do podcasts because I, I don't, like, there's no part of my day where I, like, I'm. What do you, what do you listen to when you're in the gym? Um, Earn, you know, earnings call? You know, I, I usually, um, like, just, yeah, like, not even listen to anything. I'm just, wow. like, trying to, like. One of those. Yeah, I'm usually like right. trying to like get through the insanity video without barfing or get the 45 minutes on the I thought you were going to say Cardi B. I don't know what you Oh <laughs> no, no way. I got a Ford Mustang convertible and I listen to right, ACDC. I'm not You're not a, t- you're not a TV guys. guy, but I'll give you the yeah. must the must not miss show okay. of this year is Severance. Severance. And I know Michael was on this before I was. Are you uh, co-writing for Severance or are you giving like nope. stock advice? How, no. How good right. is that show? It is honestly what is the first What is the show? I don't even know what it Tell is. It. It's so fucked up. It's it's Ben Stiller directs it. It's on Apple TV. Okay. And the premise is these are people who go to a job where they want their mind erased in between when they're home and when they're at work. Oh, I think I saw an advertisement so for they that. They get a chip something. implanted into right. their brain that separates their lives, and they call it the innie and the Audi. <laughs> when they're at work, they're their innie self. They have no idea what their real life is. And when they're at home, they don't know what they did all day at work. And there are specific reasons why people want to be there. Like it's one of them, their dark. wife dies. It's super dark. And they can't work. Right. So that's like $5 of the recent Apple appreciation you showed me so on the chart. Yeah. Severance, this, listen Severance this, is listen worth this, like a 20 billion cash. Listen yeah. to this cast. John Turturro. There it is. Christopher Walken. Adam Scott. Adam Scott. It's, it is uh, Patricia Arquette. This is one of the best TV shows I've ever Are seen. Are you up to date? 
Yeah, I'm waiting How for tomorrow. Was, How sick was the what reveal? What season is this? Is it the first one. season? Okay. There could only be one. The one last season. reveal? Yeah, there could only be one season. Oh, no. they can. This this reminds me of Lost where- They better not. They better not. You're waiting, though, every week. Like, I, I have to see what happens. Now. I'm out for, at least 10 seasons. I'm out for season two. I'm Wait, out. are you in on Severance? Yeah. No, okay. it's like are you the best show Are you caught up? Yeah, yeah. Did you watch How many episodes have there been? Seven. Yeah, yeah. So I'll wait I'll wait till the whole season's over, and then I can watch it all in like two or three days. How many episodes tension you feel? Is it uh, 10? I, I or is it 8? Know. It's 10, I, don't I think. Know. But I wish, I wish it never ended. It's, it's based on it's a so novel. Good. It's based on a Japanese novel, so it can't end, extend into infinity. If it does, I'm so out. Yeah, they could extend anything if there's enough money. You, John, you watching this or no? You're all in? Definitely. Wow, I'm. I'm uh, I guess you know. It's, it's, a slow burn, it's the only guy in the room in his fifties. I've now proven I'm just, myself. I'm. I'm. I'm telling you, your next flight to Florida, wherever yeah. you want to go, just yeah. like download a few episodes. Yeah, You'll love right. it. Um, all right, we're gonna wrap it up there. I have one thing that Nicole asked me to announce which is a free sticker giveaway to three TikTok followers, new followers. No. Listen, listen, we're on TikTok now. I'm sorry. What, it's what's, at the what, compound we news. Down. Yeah, we're, finally, we're finally on TikTok. And we have followers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People are into this yeah. shit. Duncan is dancing on our TikTok. Yeah. Just, all right, listen to me. Follow us on the compound news uh, is our handle on TikTok. And nice we're going to select three TikTok followers at, at random who mention us saying hashtag sticker giveaway. They have one week to enter and we're going to send them a special gift. Nicole's going to get in touch and we're going to put something physical, not a, not an NFT. We're actually going to send you something that exists. <laughs> what do you, what do you got? I, I was just making sure you don't forget the review too. We got to read the review. Oh, do the review. Oh yeah. 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 Do the review and then we're going to get yeah, out of here. I can't read okay. our reviews. They're savage. Okay. No, the reviews, they're, they're so, they're do so people, good. people uh, compliment oh, you guys? Kill me. Yeah, no. the what? reviews Kill Michael. Been, oh my for the most God. part, they're really good. I mean, Michael does get a disproportionate share. Right, hang, hang on. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> hang on. We delete, we delete all the Would you the like us reviews? to analyze a trivariate whether it's statistically significant oh, it that is. he gets it worse? Believe me. I would put a statistical, I can go to a T-stat on that. I think it's a bullying situation, though. They feel like they could just say whatever because he's the younger one of the two of us. So I think that's why he gets it worse. Ah, uh, what's what's the review? Let's hear it, Duncan. Okay, let's hear it. All right, so uh, Giddy Up <laughs> Five Two Five. It's like mean tweets. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Giddy Up Five Two Five wrote in five star review. Wait, is that their real name? I think so. Okay. And so the I like the the subject of this one is fifty three and no longer afraid, which is like an infomercial or something. Uh, Compound team, I love your show. You've taught me that the market will go up and it will go down. Just don't freak out. Stay the course. You guys have mastered the ability to communicate the market world to me and those like me. You are like the work friends I wish I had. Keep up the great work. Wow, beautiful. So what are we sending this person? Uh, well, we don't know who they are. We have to, if, if anyone listening to this, if, if they you hear us read this, you have to, you have right. to email us. And right. send we appreciate that. All right, listen, Adam Parker, where do you want people to follow you? We're going to go to, first of all, what's the URL that we're going to send people to it, so they can possibly yeah, just, subscribe you, to what you yeah, do? Yeah, so we you know, sell our content. So if people are interested in, can afford it, they can email me at adam at trivariatresearch.com. Okay. So it's a direct email and they yeah. got to be like, look, I run an asset management firm or we don't, an RIA. You know, we, yeah, we don't sell our product to in individual investors. Of course. So it's got to be a real uh, of course. institution. But um, yeah, or they can go to our and website he, too. Are you active on uh, social? Are you doing anything like publicly or are you just keeping a low profile? I don't. I don't. I Smart. Just, just LinkedIn and, and, and that. Yeah, I don't do Smart. tweeting or TikTok or... Um, uh, any any of that stuff, I, but yeah. you're killing it on CNBC lately. You're popping Thanks. up I've everywhere. Going, I've been going you having uh, fun more often. You okay. know, I learn what what uh, I learn a lot. I learn a lot, and um, 
Um, I think sometimes what not to do and some, yes. sometimes what to do. But you know, you, you gotta you gotta observe. You gotta get out of the house and be with people, right? as, we, as we're saying. So, um, th- thanks for having me. This was Dude, fun. You, I love awesome, you guys. You're an awesome Thank guest, you. and we'll definitely have you back. Anytime. What are you doing on Tuesday of next week? No, I'm just Tuesday kidding. We'll give you a little week. bit of time. We'll give you a little bit of time. Produce some more research. <laughs> All right. We would love to have you back, Adam Parker, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, Thank, Thank you. you so much. Great job. All right, for those of you who are unaware. If you'd like to watch clips from today's show, check out The Compound on YouTube. It's youtube.com slash thecompoundrwm. Thank you so much, Adam Parker. Good job, Duncan. Good job, John. Thanks, Michael, Nicole. We'll see you guys next week. All right. Good job, man. That was fun.